From 2002 to 2008, World Wrestling Entertainment produced the Ruthless Aggression Era. Ruthless Aggression! As a power vacuum formed in the wake of wrestling's biggest boom period, WWE producers and superstars alike worked to reinvigorate their company and recapture success and acclaim. In the process, a string of future Hall of Fame level talent rose to the top and enjoyed crossover appeal in the public consciousness. We're going to take a trip back in time and travel through this amazing period in WWE history. The matches, the storylines, the home media and more. Every triumph and every heartbreak. Whether you were watching as it all unfolded, or you're here to learn about this era for the first time, this series will have something for you. This is Ruthless Aggression Relived. Ruthless Aggression! Since our last episode. On SmackDown, Kurt Angle continued his animosity with Edge, costing the latter a match against Booker T. Mr. McMahon chastised Hulk Hogan for turning his back on the NWO, but offered to make Hogan his first pick in the upcoming draft if Hogan would play ball. Hogan weighed up the offer. Lita and Trish Stratus teamed up to face Jazz and Ivory, with Trish pinning women's champion Jazz to win. William Regal attempted to mock the APA by telling them they could be split up by the draft, but the wind was taken out of his sails when they pointed out this guaranteed at least one of them would be around to beat him up, regardless of which brand he ended up on. He was somewhat buoyed, however, by a victory over WWF European Champion Diamond Dallas Page, taking DDP's title from him as a result. Chris Jericho felt confident that he could win back the WWF Championship from Triple H in what he believed to be a handicap match situation on the following week's Raw. However, he realised the situation was much worse for him than he first realised, as Stephanie McMahon had arranged to make the match a triple threat and announced her intentions to become the first ever female undisputed wrestling champion. Mr. McMahon promised the NWO he'd aim to draft him to SmackDown, noting Flair likely didn't want their brand of poison on Raw. The Hurricane and Mighty Molly tried to work through their differences from WrestleMania in an intergender match. Hurricane, however, couldn't bring himself to hurt Molly. Brock Lesnar, as it turns out, had no such compunctions, and hit the ring to brutalise both Hurricane and Molly. The Undertaker, having taken Ric Flair to pieces at WrestleMania, confronted Flair and told him to draft him to Raw so that every Monday could be a WrestleMania moment for Flair. Billy and Chuck hired some assistants. Not a wrestling manager, but a stylist. The glamorous Rico proved invaluable not only in helping improve the fashion fortunes of the WWF Tag Team Champions, but also aiding them to victory over the Hardy Boys. Kevin Nash and The Rock fought, but the NWO number game proved too much as Scott Hall interfered in the match. Hulk Hogan attempted to save The Rock, but was stopped in his tracks by the NWO's latest member, X-Park, who levelled Hogan with a chair. The NWO bloodied Hogan before spray-painting the group's initials onto his body. On Jacked, Metal and Heat, 
the big Valbowski and Lance Storm enjoyed a mini-feud. On Jacked and Metal, Albert and Scotty Too Hotty defeated comedy team Crash and Funaki. Then, on Heat, Kane and Big Show defeated the Dudley Boys, and Rob Van Dam defeated Mr. Perfect to retain the WWF Intercontinental Championship. Now, let's jump in to the 25th of March 2002 and Monday Night Raw. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Ruthless Aggression Relived. With me, your host, LT Fletcher. Thanks for joining me once again. Thanks for inviting me into your podcast listening device and joining me in a slight change of schedule from what, it, uh, what I'd previously uh, advertised is uh, not Stuart Jip, but in fact, John Porter. John, how the devil are you doing this evening? Hello, yes, uh, I'm doing very well, thank you. It's good to be the late replacement. I think that's my natural <laughs> role in life, so, uh, it, yeah. I, 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 in saying that, I kind of realised that I was making it sound like you were, like, the second choice. <laughs> but, yeah, like, there was... Bob Regis, the last resort, <laughs> yes, so, uh, that would be me. I, I, should, I should point out that there is, like, a schedule, and we have people's names on these things, and, like, there was a, there was a last-minute sort of panic, and it was like, oh my god, please step in, please save my show! <laughs> it's like, well, it's I'm WrestleMania here. weekend, I can't not have a podcast out exactly. for WrestleMania weekend, you know? Exactly, so, we got to do this. So, let's, let, let's, let's ease the listeners in a little bit. Um, <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your, your fandom, how you got into wrestling, what, you know, any memories of uh, this particular time frame in wrestling history so this is kind of when i would would have been watching probably the most regularly i started watching mm. in the attitude era as did pretty much everybody in my generation sure um but i i think i was so the first event i ever saw was no mercy 2000 Ooh. um that was when stone cold committed ve- vehicular homicide <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I remember that, but obviously I would have been, I'm 32 now, so I would have been 10 at the time. Um, my parents weren't exactly approving of the whole wrestling thing, but by the time I was, uh, we're getting to 2002 here, I had access to Sky and I could watch it basically whenever it was on. So this is the time frame I would have been watching the most regularly. I kind of just fell into it. It was one of those things that obviously the Attitude Era was something of a fad, um, and it kind of caught on at school and things like that, and you start watching it, and I don't know, I just really enjoyed it. I I still enjoy it to this day, probably not as much as I used to, but I enjoy it. And, um, yeah, I I kind of fell into it. I was a regular member of, uh, I think I'm going to reference this, Luke, if you don't I think you may have to, you're going to have to age me now. (laughs) I was a member of uh, WWE Chat UK on AOL, that is uh, where I met your... uh, podcast host, uh, Mr. Luke Fletcher, and also a very good friend of ours that we've uh, we've had for 20 years, I think he's on later episodes of this podcast. Yeah, we've got him um, coming on. Indeed, and this kind of built my fandom, and this actually is about the time I met you, I think, about 2002, 2003-ish? That probably sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, I seem to remember that. We were on the forums originally, and it, uh, yeah, I, I remember all that stuff. See, it was, it for, was a good time. For any of our younger listeners, um, AOL chat rooms are what we had before they invented Discord. <laughs> yeah, before they invented Skype even before they invented MSN Messenger I'm so old <laughs> that, like, yeah. that was, that, was the, that whole period where like there was this this grand shared experience of we're all in AOL's chat, we're all on AOL's forums, we're all doing 
<laughs> terrible eFed website. Oh, of course, we shared an eFed too for Hell a brief yeah. period. We were uh, we were both members of the World Wonga Federation. Oh my there God, Wonga! Say that on the podcast. Wow. Yeah, that was now. Uh... Now that is a podcast all unto itself. <laughs> now there you go. That's what I'm going to do. That's my Let, new podcast. Uh, all I'm going to say on that one, listeners, is uh, one of the defining matches in Wonga's history was the dildo on a pole match. <laughs> I've forgotten about that. <laughs> <laughs> it it wasn't like most feds. I'll put it that way. It was good stuff. Um, so today, then, we're going to be taking a close look at the 25th of March, 2002 edition of Monday Night Raw, um, which is the first ever WWF draft. Well, it's the last ever WWF draft, because it's going to be WWE draft from <laughs> here on, of course, but first ever wrestling draft, basically, and that's just an unusual alien concept, and I think a lot of us didn't really know at the time how this was going to work, and... Now it's just taken as as granted as part of the wrestling yeah. landscape, of course. But oh, yeah. this was magic at the time. Yeah, this is a weird one for me because I'm actually, in the present day, I'm a massive fan of American sports. So mm. drafts are not a, like an alien concept to me. But in 2002, a draft to me was what you did in English before you wrote the final paper. So <laughs> I, I did not know what this was supposed to be. And uh, it was it was cool. I, I remember looking at the... Uh, the supplementary or the lottery or whatever they called it on WWE.com after the uh, after the draft and then wondering why some of those guys never showed up on TV after that. But I guess we'll mm. get to that. <laughs> well, some of them, some of them had the audacity to die, didn't they? The selfish bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty then. So we kick things off with the most charismatic performer in WWE history, Linda McMahon. Opening the show live from WWF Studios, which presumably is an office somewhere. <laughs> uh, she reminds yeah. us the draft is happening tonight, and that uh, Ric Flair is representing Raw, and Vince McMahon is representing SmackDown. And the entire WWF locker room watches on, as she notes that in the interest of time, only 20 picks will be made during the episode, and a lottery will be held on WWF.com immediately after the show to determine everyone else's brand. The draft will come into effect on the following week's episode, making this the final week of a single roster in the company for the foreseeable future. Uh, yeah, this was this was cool. I'll tell you what I found funny about this, and I do I didn't have this on notes, but I should have noted it down after I watched the entire show. Mm. She mentions that in the interest of time, they'll only show twenty picks, but in one segment there are about eight picks get made. Oh, so... they do a real rapid fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they should so... have just done it all like that and just put some more matches on the show. Quite frankly, <laughs> just like nail them to the podium. Like, no, you're not leaving until you've done it. Behave like big boys. Uh, the only other things of note are that Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, and Chris Jericho may not be drafted due to being in the main event WWF Championship match that evening. And in addition, Stone Cold Steve Austin has a clause in his contract which prevents him from being drafted as well, which makes him a free agent. Uh, yes. Now, quite why Austin would have such a clause in his contract when there'd never been a draft before, I don't know, but he is a famously paranoid individual, so who's to say? <laughs> well, yeah, he just, uh, he, he just finished the paranoid Stone Cold run at this point, <laughs> hadn't he? So maybe maybe he got the clause put in. When <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, uh, I prefer to think it more of the contract clause of convenience, which was, oh shit, he's not here, how do we get out yeah, of Yeah, Stone Cold wasn't very happy at this time. 
Um, I, I, he was meant to be on this show, wasn't he? I think so, yeah. I seem to remember even at the time, because obviously, like I say, we were on the forums and stuff at the time, there was a lot of chatter that he was supposed to be there and wasn't. Mm. Um, I don't... Yeah, I think that was the first semi-walkout before the full one, which yes. obviously happens, happens later. Um, My understanding of it is that it was supposed to be Austin on one show and Rock on the other, so you've got equal star power mm. on... The, the two shows, and obviously, of course, if you don't have Austin there, then uh, already the scales are slightly weighted in favour of the other show. Yeah, just a little. Uh, you start to see that as the show develops as yes. well. It's quite, it's quite funny. So the show kicks off with a nice, lovely pyro, and we are welcomed to Raw at the Bryce Jordan Centre at Penn State University by good old JR, Jim Ross, and Jerry the King Lawler. And then, <laughs> what a match to kick off the show! Wow, a real five-star classic, this one. We've got Taz <laughs> versus Mr. Perfect. And unfortunately, both of them very much near the end of their in-ring careers at this stage. They're both winding down. This is actually Taz's final match on I was going to say, Raw. I couldn't remember Taz having a match at, at this point. This was a shock to me when I watched the show. I was like, whoa, Taz was still wrestling? Mm. Like, I, I was convinced he'd hung it up by then, but there you go. And I also wrote down, what the hell is this entrance theme? But it turns out they were promoting forcible entry. Um, yes. You know, uh, incidentally, we'll be covering uh, forcible entry on the Patreon once we get that up and running in hopefully a few episodes' time. So look forward to that. Got a, a mu- We've got someone with actual musical skills joining me for that one, so it's not just going to be me going, <laughs> I like this song, it is nice. Um, I mean, you know, there is a lot of good stuff on there Oh, it's a great album This is This is kind of a sad match, honestly Like I say, this is two men winding down their ring-ring careers One of whom um, You know, Taz, he can't At this point in his career He can't work a proper match Physically, he can't do it And unfortunately we lose Mr. Perfect not too long after this yeah, it was quite sad for me watching this. Um, Perfect gets a pretty good pop when he comes out. I, like more than I remember, mm. the crowd reacted to him when he came back. Like there was a genuine like it was it was it wasn't quite a nostalgia pop. We see one of those later. Yes, but um, the, it was almost like oh, Perfect's here, awesome. You know, it was yeah, kind of, like, there was a real like wholesome quality to it. It, it was kind and, of like it was like a smaller scale version of like Hogan getting the massive welcome home kind of absolutely. Chat. It's like you know. It, it, perfect is back among his his home, you know. Yeah, it really felt like that. It really felt like a moment. It really felt like, oh, perfect's here, great, you know. And it was just like, it's just so sad that like they didn't really make anything of him when he came back. Yeah. Like he, he does this and a few more, and I think he's pretty much out. Not long. He, after. Yeah, he's not got long to go. There is a there is an incident which we will be covering on yes, this podcast. There is. <laughs> there is capital T, capital I, the incident. <laughs> um, so we'll be we'll be covering that, but yeah, Perfect's not going to be appearing very much on this. Sh- this might actually be the only time we mention him because he's mainly on Sunday Night Heat, which is one of the mm. the, the the sort of syndicated weekend shows. It's not a, a major storyline kind of show for for the company. But you know, all the same, he's still he's still a, a decent wrestler. You know, even in even in the twilight of his career, he can still probably put on a better match than a lot of the people that were. On the card, shall we say? A um, little bit of suplexing back and forth, but to be honest, mostly this is just—it's kind of hampered by Taz's limitations. It, there's a lot of back and forth striking, a uh, bit of an yeah. ugly miscommunication at one point. Taz blocks a strike with his head, 
Um, <laughs> and then Perfect sells it as if Taz fought him off, and then for his troubles gets put in the Taz, uh, Taz mission and immediately submits. Yeah, there was a few bumpy matches on the show, but this this stuck out quite a bit. I, you wouldn't think, as you say, they were quite limited. You wouldn't think they could really screw this up, but they seemed to find they a way. Found to a do way. It, which is a shame. So Taz uh, Taz gets on the mic before the match. Perfect had told the audience that he would be the perfect pick in the draft, <laughs> and Taz tells them that the perfect pick just became uh, just another victim. Absolute nothing much, basically. Yeah, it it had no, like, there's no connection to this. There's no storyline. Nothing ever gets followed up from here. It's just there. It's a TV match. I would argue, actually, it's a heat match that got lost. It probably is, yeah. It's a little crowd warm up, and I think probably a good idea that they did that because there is oh so much talking to follow this. Oh boy! We've yeah, got this is, this so many talk, like yeah. we've got so many talking segments now. So maybe a little quickie match just to warm things up. It might have been the smart strategy because we go backstage and we see Ric Flair's war room, uh, where he and best friend and fellow Four Horsemen member Arn Anderson are trying to figure out who would make good draft picks for Raw. Flair has a jar with a ridiculous number of coffee packets in it. <laughs> I didn't notice that. That's a good spot. <laughs> That, that would explain an awful lot about Rick Flair. It really would, yeah. Um, Arn gets off the phone, confirms to Flair that Vince has indeed got the first draft pick. So he says they need an A plan and a B plan. And Flair responds that they'll have an A, B, C and D plan because they need to expect <laughs> the unexpected with Vince. Uh, and then we cut to Vince's war room and he's got a stack of document folders of WWF superstars and their details. I enjoy the fact that they seem to think that Vince wouldn't know his own roster. <laughs> that, that, that stuck out to me a little bit. It's like, this is the owner of the company. I can understand Flair having it, maybe. Yeah, he's, he's only been around for a couple what, of like, months. Yeah. Four months at this point. Really? Vince has run this company for 40 years. <laughs> like, what is it? Well, 20 years at that point. Like, what is going on? Like, oh, it was, yeah, that was slightly bizarre. So he's not gone mad yet. That's still yet to come. <laughs> so, uh, Vince gets up, heads out of the room, and as he does so, he leaves open on his desk a document folder containing an image of Kurt Angle. Ooh, spooky dooky. But that's not... Nice uh, little yeah. um, But that's not to the end. Because after the break, Vince heads out to the stage and over to the little podium that's been set up for himself and Flair. Uh, the fans... Give him the usual sort of, uh, the usual sort of screaming and shouting and booing and crying and wailing at him. <laughs> and he sarcastically thanks him for the warm reception. So, <laughs> reminding everyone that he won the coin toss the previous week, he says he has the right to make the first draft and chooses as his first pick, The Rock. Yeah, is... this is this is cool. Like, I, you wouldn't think, I, I know, like, Smackdown is traditionally The Rock's show. Hmm. Uh, but I I didn't see this coming. I mean, I was twelve, so maybe <laughs> quite dialed into the ins and outs shit. But I didn't really think that they would do that. But I suppose this is about the time. Is this about the time he started to take more time off? Is him going on a pre-tape show make more sense? They have an idea when he can make appearances. I think like that? that's very probably. I think you've probably hit on the nail on the head there because as we're going to see over the coming 
several episodes, The Rock's career in Hollywood is going to start skyrocketing. And obviously, here in 2022, you know, not to not to sort of like you know leap forward too much, but I think everybody listening to this knows who Dwayne Johnson is. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's that's a fair sort of thing to you know, we we know how the story ends. Suffice to say, yeah. um, but. I I kind of like how they did this because, like as you say, you wouldn't expect Vince to make this as the first pick because he and The Rock in storyline haven't traditionally got on, and that The Rock kind of reacts like that as well. Like he he looks really wary, um, so he makes his way out to stage as Jr. and the King discuss his accolades. Like you know, he's great, he's wonderful, he's handsome, he's fantastic. Please don't leave us, <laughs> Hollywood Dwayne, for the love of God. Um, <laughs> Vince tells The Rock he has some things to get off his chest, and there will be new rules on SmackDown, including forbidding The Rock to ever put his hands on Vince, or using his catchphrases on SmackDown, which is yeah. pretty funny when you consider who fucking invented the term SmackDown in the first place. <laughs> God, this is so long as well. Like Not mm. the whole segment, but just this bit where he's going through all the catchphrases. Like The, the fans know all his catchphrases. You could have literally just said... Don't use your catchphrases, but he goes through like every single one. It's just like, oh, make it stop. <laughs> Remember when The Rock said the funny thing? Yeah, yeah great lads. So, Vince. <laughs> okay, I quite like what happened next. Vince says The Rock and his newfound ally, Hulk Hogan, have a lot in common, and the fans start chanting asshole. And Vince is like, don't call The Rock names like that. <laughs> yeah, he's my number one traffic. <laughs> Um, that was good he he says The Rock and Hogan both have massive egos and he made Hulk Hogan and that he made The Rock Uh, Vince says he brought The Rock into this world and he can take him out of it yeah who is he referencing there because he references a comedian and I couldn't place that I couldn't place that line I'm just just remembering the guy off of, of Father Ted Fire me! I made the BBC. Yeah, Henry Henry Sellers. Yeah, yeah I, I I mean I assume it wasn't that, but Probably you never not. know with Vince. Well. You never know with Vince, so I don't know. But yeah, I couldn't work out who he was referencing. I, I I should know that, and I don't know why I don't know that. So if anybody does know, let Luke know because I'm, I'm I'm genuinely curious <laughs> who the hell he was talking about there. Just Vince being wacky. <laughs> so yeah, the whole thing is a bit wacky here. But yeah. it's good. It's good fun. Vince, shit, pal. <laughs> Vince prepares to leave. The Rock halts him in his tracks, and he seems a little unimpressed at being Vince's first pick. But he says he'll go out of Raw with a bang. He reminds Vince of the history he's made on Raw, winning the WWF Championship, teaming up with Mick Foley to form the Rock and Sock connection, and shoving Vince's face into Rikishi's backside. <laughs> Yeah, this was like one of these things is not like the other, yeah. wasn't it? I, I don't know what to make of it. JR has this amazing thing to add. He goes, deep, deep, deep up the keystone. <laughs> JR is on fire on this <laughs> There are some absolute crack. I've got, but 90% of the things I noted down are stupid things JR said. <laughs> like, so, he must have been putting up with so much shit this time. He's so he, grumpy. He is so ornery throughout the entire show. Uh, yeah, I've actually got down. Is it because he's in talent relations and they're holding a draft? Because famously Probably. they weren't telling people where they went. Were yeah, he, he he will have been having a lot of sleepless nights over this one, I imagine. <laughs> lots of, lots of knocks on the door, lots well. of phone calls. 
He has a good one later in this segment that I'm anxious to see if you picked up as well. So Oh, I don't know if I did. <laughs> it's just a throwaway line, but uh, let's let's see. Carry uh, on, if he mentions it. If you don't mention it, I'll... I'll so, The Rock asks Vince if he really, really wants to take him away from Raw. And Vince goes up to the podium to answer. <laughs> and The Rock goes, it doesn't matter what you want. Everyone was fucking nuts. It's the best thing ever. It's funny every time. It's one of those, like, yeah, some of the rock stuff hasn't aged all that well. That still works now. It's amazing. I don't know know what it is, but, like like I say, it's funny every time, even when you can see it's coming. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know exactly, I knew exactly what was going to happen, but I still laughed, and that's the the hallmark of a good catchphrase, isn't it? Absolutely. He also says, and I don't know if he said it at this point, because I can't remember which order he did his catchphrases in, because Mm. that is basically a rock promo, isn't it? Well, quite. He says, finally, the rock has come back to Penn State. He went to Miami University. He didn't go to Penn State. Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) And not only that, in American college sports, that would probably start a fight in the stands. Probably. That was was quite... I just wrote it down as like a pithy comment. I was just like, yeah, okay. You've never been to Penn State, Rock. You were at Miami, remember? So, Rock says Vince didn't make Hogan or The Rock. The people made The Rock. Um, and then he pops the crowd by talking about the sports teams and gets them to deliver the uh, local chant of "We are Penn State." <laughs> and then he has a brilliant idea because he he influences the crowds for every SmackDown venue from here on oh, to God, deliver like a similar a chant. <laughs> he he tells them to sh- to chant "You are." an asshole every time Vince shows up. Brilliant. And they do. They really, really do. Like, this man is a dictator. (laughs) Honestly, he could, if he was to rule the country, people would do exactly, at this time, maybe not now, Mm. but at that time, everyone would do exactly what he told them to do. He just seems to have that power over a crowd. It's quite scary. And this is where the cracking line from JR comes in. They start oh, chanting God. this. And they, they chant this pretty much all night, by mm. the way. Oh, gotcha. Even if every time Vince comes out, and it gets progressively louder. <laughs> um, and, and JR says something like, God, it sounds like a proctologist convention in here. And I was just like, that's just fucking brilliant. Like, that's, that's just great. It's just so good. I, I, like that sounded like AEW JR. It was just fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I honestly did laugh so much at that. So uh, Vince gets the deafening abuse of the crowd and leaves. And the Rock looks quite impressed with himself. Delivers one final catchphrase. If you smell what the Rock is cooking, and off he fucks for the night. For this, he was paid twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> uh, then out comes Ric Flair to make his first pick. I. I I love JR and King's little back and forth here. JR wonders who Flair's first pick will be, and King tells him that his sources say it won't be The Rock. <laughs> and then JR just sort of goes, hmm, good job. <laughs> they're, they're really like, I, if I didn't know better, I'd think they were at each other's throats. <laughs> they, are, they are so, like, the, there's so many occasions in this show where they're just constantly going at one another. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. It's genuinely amazing that, like, the two of them are such good friends in real life because 
you would honestly believe that King is genuinely pissing JR off all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you really would. It's so good. Like, they are so good as a pairing. I know JR and Heyman were popular mm. for the, a similar reason, but I think there is actually a bit of genuine dislike there. Whereas <laughs> with JR and King, they're putting, like, they are, as you say, they are really good real life friends, and yet somehow on TV, they managed to portray themselves <laughs> as, like, practically wanting to strangle each other. I think it's absolutely brilliant. It, it, made, it made the commentary better, I think. Yeah, definitely. So, Flair greets the crowd and says, Despite his personal differences, his first pick is a man who is a cornerstone of the WWF. The Undertaker. (laughs) And it turns out Undertaker's confrontation with Flair the previous week was actually supposed to be reverse psychology because he didn't really want to stay on Raw under Flair. So he's not very happy. Uh, In Vince's war room... Kurt Angle enters, and he looks mighty peeved. Uh, He says Vince hurt his feelings by not making Kurt his first pick. Vince says he's well aware of how valuable Kurt is, and he picked The Rock to throw Flair a swerve, not expecting to receive one in return. And then in comes Undertaker, and he says that Vince assured him Flair wouldn't pick him, and demands to know what Vince will do about it. And Vince just kind of goes, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like he just says a bunch of vague words yeah. and then Taker just kind of leaves. It was yeah. a bit bizarre. I've got to say two things here. Mm-hmm. Goofy Kurt Angle, Love I him. forgot how much fun Goofy Kurt Angle oh, was because he's been he's been like serious, bald, like pseudo MMA Kurt Angle <laughs> yeah. for so long that I totally forgot how much fun he was as like a goofy sort yeah. of... I wouldn't even say he's that much of a heel at this point, but like, yeah, he, like I forgot how much fun that was. Heel Undertaker, though, oh, especially heel Biker Taker, I, I could do without. I Like, it just seems to be an excuse for him to shout things really loudly at people. <laughs> and I, I, I never really got it. And I used to love Undertaker. That was like my favourite wrestler when sure. I first started watching it. So I think for me it was just a bit like, oh, God, here we go again. But, uh, there he is, yeah, the, having the, his public midlife crisis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, there he is, a ginger on a bike. <laughs> um... <laughs> they should have renamed him. <laughs> well, it was better than Booger Red, to be Oh, fair. my so, you know. God, the worst. <laughs> so... Vince gives Undertaker his word that he'll make things right, and Undertaker tells Vince this had better be the one time that he keeps his word, and he just leaves. Just fucking yeah, goes. It was, it was just so weird. Like, what was. Absolutely what was pointless. That? I don't think anything follows this up either, does it? He doesn't um, do anything for the Undertaker, does he? No! <laughs> no! Well, it felt- Undertaker kind of. It kind of doesn't become relevant in like because of his yeah. next couple of storylines, but. Vince just kind of, I don't know, it's almost as if Vince goes, well, I'm glad he's gone, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, it's like you just say whatever to get the guy <laughs> exactly. out of the room, and then it's just like, oh, right, okay, now we can get back to work. Oh, God, a Harley Davidson enthusiast, fucking hell. <laughs> Alrighty, then, we have our second match of the evening. It's a little bit of tag team action. As Edge and DDP, Diamond Dallas Page, take on Christian and Booker T. Uh, pretty pretty simple beginning to this one. Edge and Booker start things off. Christian tries to hit Edge from the apron. Edge avoids it, knocks Christian to the floor, and turns around into a super kick from Booker. Christian is tagged in, gives Edge a lovely little power slam for two. Edge fights back, catches Christian with a spine buster. Both men tag their partners. DDP knocks Booker down with a few little strikes, and then belts Christian off the apron. 
attempts the diamond cutter on Booker, uh, but Booker shoves him towards the ropes. Christian gives him a rope guillotine. Uh, good little, you know, well well timed on the tag team action, I think. Yeah, they were good considering they're not regular sure. partners. Sure, like, good, good, really good well. synchronicity. Uh, Booker goes for the scissor kick. DDP escapes, nails the diamond cutter, and hooks Booker's leg. But Christian breaks the referee's count at two by slapping DDP in the fucking mug. <laughs> so Christian hits DDP with the Unprettier, gets a spinning heel kick from Edge to take him out of the ring. Booker nails DDP with a scissor kick to pick up the three count and win the match. Yeah, I'm not sure if at some point I missed a section when I was watching this, but at some point the the rules just seemed to go out of the window. Mm. Everyone was in the ring. There was people hitting moves on everybody. I could hear Jim Cornette screaming from like 500 miles away. It was one of the most bizarre, like, it was a good match. It was short. It was probably like, okay, guys, you've got four minutes. Uh, Get your shit in. (laughs) One other small point. That Christian theme is just... The best. Oh, it's I incredible! Love that. Love it. I, I forgot it. It's been a year since I've heard it, and I was I, just like, oh, I, I, like, I'm that used to, um, like, the theme that he's used in WWE for years on end. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I yeah, forgot yeah. how good At Last is as a theme tune. It's amazing. <laughs> it really is, and it really suits it, the character. It suits it's really him perfectly. It's so well. dickish, yeah. <laughs> and also, like DDP, how the hell did the WWE screw that up? I know he was pretty old at that point, but and I know there's a lot of reasons why. But he was over. He, he, he was. You know, he he absolutely gets a pretty was. good pop here, and uh, it just makes me sad. DDP, he just seems like such a cool guy. I don't think I could hang around him for more than five minutes. <laughs> he's just so positive. But like, he's just he's just awesome. And I just I, I sit there and I go, how the hell is he doing like mid card tag matches on Raw? What it's happened? weird. That that's a former W. WCW World Champion. Mine. So is Booker T. Well, yeah, that's true. This is this is weird. I actually noted this down as well. Booker was getting face reactions, mm. not like tons of them, but he was getting a little bit here. This is long before they do much with him that way. But it was weird. He even he even got a pop at the start. Although whether that's the the theme, you know, can you dig it, sucker, and all that, sure. I don't know. But he, there was definitely something there because I, 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 I kind of noted it. I was like, wow, that's like they didn't boo him. Like you know, considering he's the heel, they didn't boo him. I I think at this point the fans were absolutely ready to accept Booker as like mm. one of the guys. You know, because he's he's charismatic. He's good in the ring. He's got a. Uh, He's got a good number of signature catchphrases. He's got a funny little spinny move that everybody likes. <laughs> he's yeah, he's oven ready. And, you know, they just kind of got him doing these mid-card tag matches, like you say. But it's not, <laughs> it's not too long before his fortunes pick up. So. No, they do they do elevate him pretty quickly. Mm. Um, 2002 is a pretty good year for Booker, all in all. It, yeah, it's definitely. Certainly in terms of getting him, um, getting him in with the crowd, so to speak. So, once again, then, we head backstage, where Kurt Angle is reading his accolades off the back of his promotional card in an attempt to impress He's such a nerd. I love him. Um, (laughs) I just thought this was great. I I was laughing. Like, I know this is one of those things that people say now, but... It used to be just so much funnier. It's just so. This is just so humorous, and like it works, and it fits in perfectly with what Angle is supposed to be. And it's just, it's just great. Uh, I absolutely everything Angle does on the show is good. He's he's an amazing asset to the company at this point. Like I don't, I don't think we we properly sort of 
covered, you know, just how good Kurt Angle is on the previous episode of this podcast, but he is probably one of the best wrestlers, if not the best wrestler, to ever lace up a pair of boots. Mm, um, yeah, definitely. He's funny, he can do the dramatic stuff, he can do comedy stuff, he can do babyface, he can do heel. He is an absolute A-star performer. Yeah, he was he was fantastic here. And that's that's good news for him, because the, the good times are going to continue to roll for him in this little segment. Uh, <laughs> Vince tells Kurt he knows where he's going by reeling off his accomplishments, but he really needs to think what Flair's next pick might be. And Flair says that if Flair, uh, Vince says if Flair picked The Undertaker, well, there's no reason he wouldn't pick the NWO. Angle tells Vince that Flair is more likely to choose him, because why would Flair want the NWO's poison on Raw? He would, of course, want an Olympic gold medalist. <laughs> so Kurt tells Vince he doesn't want to work for Flair, but he does want to work for Vince because he likes him. They're a good team, and they are chums. <laughs> it's just such a such a ridiculous line, but I don't know. It's just you can't not laugh. It's just great. Vince totally buys into it, and he declares that Flair won't get what he wants because his second pick will be Kurt Angle. Um, Kurt's absolutely delighted, hugs Vince tells him he loves him, but then he chastises him for not making him pick number one which is a really fun little punchline to it Yeah, that was good. and then as another little capper uh, Flair heads out to the podium uh, tells the fans he'll work as hard as he can to bring Stone Cold to Raw and then drafts the NWO anyway (laughs) (laughs) yeah this was great I remembered that he took the NWO I just wasn't sure if it was directly after that segment but (laughs) the fact that it is is just brilliant also like Vince is best it's great (laughs) it's superb isn't it but how many times do they reference Austin like I should have kept account the amount of times they say oh Austin has a contractual clause he's a free Mm. agent I swear they must have said it like 20 plus times they're making they're leaving no doubt who the biggest star is even oh, God, if everybody yeah. else is getting picked it's crazy but yeah the NWO stuff is just, is just as soon as he walks out and picks the NWO I just immediately started laughing because I remember like I say I remembered that he took them but I wasn't sure if it was directly after Angle was like no nah, he's not going to take the NWO <laughs> and I was just like oh it's so good so, so good. Flair has effectively got three picks for the price of one he's now got Kevin Nash Scott Hall and X Park, so he's got he's got quite a little edge on Vince there. Um, yeah, he has. Vince Vince kind of explodes at Kurt, but then he assures him that he'll sign Stone Cold, so it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> Kurt tries to calm Vince down and says Flair's trying to throw Vince off his game, and he recommends Vince try to do the same thing in return. He says there's someone who hasn't been around for a while, and he'll be coming back bigger, stronger, and faster, and the leader of the DK crew. And he knows that Flair has been talking to him. So Kurt whispers the name in Vince's ear for some fuckforsaken reason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't really understand why, because it's not as though he's not going to announce it like five seconds later. (laughs) Uh, And Vince officially announces to camera his third pick, Chris Benoit. Yeah, we're starting to see the the genesis of the SmackDown 6 here, even Mm. this early. Because Angle's gone there, Benoit goes there. It, it, it's it's weird. I that was my immediate thought. Well, that and wow, I haven't heard that guy's name in a long time. Yeah, really that is, so. um, suffice to say, um, it is impossible to discuss this period of WWE history without <laughs> talking about Chris Benoit. Yeah, um, I'm not. Now he's not actually back for a good old while yet. He's still injured, so you know we'll we'll cover it when we we get to him, but. Just suffice to say, if you're 
If you're going to be, you know, if you're one of these listeners who's like, Chris Benoit should go in the Hall of Fame. Sorry, buddy, you are wrong. <laughs> Don't know how to yeah. tell you other than, you know, any more simpler than that. I, I, I just, you know, I just, cards on the table. So we know as early as possible, and there's no second guessing, no speculation. Chris Benoit, one of the greatest fucking wrestlers to ever live. Also a murdering bastard. Yeah, absolutely. I don't. One of those two really is more important any... than the other. So exactly, and I don't know how any sane person could think otherwise. To be perfectly honest, I mean, I, you know, that might get you some uh, incensed mail. If it does, just give them my email. I listen. Don't get me wrong. I, I I know a lot of people struggle to watch Chris Benoit matches, and I, if you are one of those people, I completely, completely understand. Naturally, as part of this show, we will be covering a lot of Chris Benoit. I I can watch his matches, and I don't feel like strange about it. But at the same time, same. it's always at the back yeah. of my mind like this man is a killer. I think the only thing that that gets me is obviously there's that, and it's kind of like you, you just sort of in in some to some sense I put it to the back of my mind, mm. but then I see him do a diving headbutt, and I yeah. immediately cringe yeah. because it's just like. That's that's where that's, that's where this, this stems from. Yep. Really. Yeah. So all you know, obviously, all of that is a long way off yet, and we've got plenty of happy Benoit memories to come first. But just like I say, you know, cards on the table, there, guys. We are going to be talking about him. Uh, we can't not. Unfortunately, he is an important part of the DNA of this era. But we're not going to be glorifying Chris Benoit, the man. So there we go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So back in Flair's war room, the NWO bursting, trying to intimidate him. Um, oh, this is great. I've I got to say this. This is absolutely fantastic. You're the NWO. You're Scott Hall, six foot what, maybe? Six foot Massive bastard. Four? Six foot four? Six foot yeah. Three. The medium-sized man. <laughs> Medium and he's huge, yeah. Yeah. Kevin Nash, maybe seven foot. Fucking go against build at seven foot. Sure. So who do you get to threaten Ric Flair? <laughs> Tiny little Sean, Wall- Sean Waltman. Why the fuck? <laughs> even, even, even with the fake heights that they build people at, <laughs> on the card when they when they drafted the NWO, they still only put X-Pac at six foot, which must make him like 5'8". <laughs> that, that's being fucking generous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, I don't think he's been six this? foot if you put him on stilts, quite frankly. <laughs> X Pack on stilts. Well, that would have freshened his character. <laughs> it would have made so things very interesting. Yeah, um, no, this is bizarre. Like he's threatening, he's threatening Ric Flair, and the other two are just kind of standing there, like, "What the hell is he doing?" It's like when someone's drunk in a bar and they've started a fight. <laughs> and there's two mates are just standing, watching it like, happen, watching it unfold. Well, just let this happen. I don't I, know what else to I do. I kind of like that though, because X Pack's kind of a dickhead. So you kind of it, it fits his character that he'd just be this like little pain in the ass getting up in Flair's face because he's got the big guys looming over his shoulder and he knows that he can get away with saying it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like the like the yeah like the little annoying kid brother with right. his big brother stood behind him. Yeah, that's a good point actually. Yeah, I just thought this was just bizarre. It was just, I like it was funny, but yeah, yeah. I liked how Xbox told Flair that they won't be told what to do because as as the song goes. You think you can tell us what to do? <laughs> I didn't spot that, but that's actually a really good. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, that's a good, good little crosser. He can never let DX go. Like, <laughs> he he cannot. <laughs> the the claws are in tight. He's drawing blood. Uh, Flair makes very clear that the trio will work for him, uh, but Nash says they'll only listen to Vince. Uh, Arn Anderson enters, tells Flair it's his turn to make a pick, and. Flair tells the NWO they can continue the conversation 
another time. So Hall's a little offended at Flair blowing the group off. And Flair tells them, well, in that case, his next pick will be of great interest to them, officially announcing to the camera that his next pick is Kane. And the NWO leave, evidently pondering how their, and particularly Xbox, history (laughs) with Kane will play out. Yeah, so at the end of this segment, there's a guy, and I think it's Kevin Nash, but I can't quite tell whose voice it is. Mm. He's just muttering away, like, oh yeah, the choke slam and the big boot. (laughs) Those are the moves what he does. (laughs) Yeah, like, what are you doing? What what if we got a choke slam off of him? That would hurt. <laughs> Kevin Nash is Kevin Nash, Kevin well, Nash isn't leaving else. his feet for anybody. You need a hydraulic lift in it, Kevin Nash. <laughs> We've got a little bit of women's action now as Trish Stratus and Ivory have a match. Yeah, um, this is weird. <laughs> it was a little bit, wasn't it? Another, another yeah. little short one. Uh, Ivory belts Trish with a kick to start things off, and Trish returns the favour, booting her in the shoulder. Uh, throws her to the mat with a hair pull and delivers a standing crossbody for a two-can. Not bad. Um, although I do think it looks kind of adorable because Trish is so dinky and small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot how much I love Trish Stratus. Oh, uh, she's like, wonderful. Like... I'm so glad to be covering like the the part of the part of her career that you know she's really getting into a stride around now. You can see her getting better. Like, oh, gosh, this, yeah. this She definitely gets better than this match, but you she, can see that she's She's got her way to go, but she has improved so much from her debut at this point. She's, like, I mean, like I say, you know, watching her come into her own in this period and then rising through the ranks to become the face of the women's division, it's great. This is a good time to be a, a lady wrestling fan. Yeah, definitely. Um, Ivory gives Trish a jawbreaker, punches her against the ropes. Uh, Trish catches uh, Ivory off a rope rebound with a back body drop. Gets her in the corner for a series of chops. Ivory throws Trish towards the corner. Trish attempts to leap backwards Ivory. Ivory rolls under her and Trish just slams into the mat. Yeah, that was a brutal bump. <laughs> Pretty horrible. I remember, uh, yeah, I was like, "Whoa, why on earth would you do that?" Like for just a random match. <laughs> Smash your shins for the draft episode. <laughs> yeah. uh, Ivory drop kicks Trish, puts the boot to her before applying a headlock and nose pull. What a vicious sod! <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that before. I don't think I've seen that spot before. It's like like she's doing. Oh, she's pulling on the mask, except the mask is her actual face. <laughs> yeah. So Ivory lifts Trish up by her hair, slams her back down to the mat, climbs the ropes, but Trish catches her with the stratosphere and nails the stratisfaction for the three count and the win. Not the prettiest match, but it was it was a decent little battle. It was good, and the only thing that really put me off this match was the commentary, but we know we know how bad that is in this Yeah. Lawler is just insufferable in this match. Like, uh, there's so many times where I just went, oh, just fuck off. <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel like that's not aged especially well, you know? Like, not at all. And I, you know, not to get up on my soapbox or anything, because I know it's all a character, it's not real, it's all telly, but when you're a, when you're a dumb, horny little teenager, you're like, oh, yeah, she is really attractive, isn't she? And then you're an, as an adult, you sort of go, hmm, maybe, maybe objectifying women is a bad thing. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. Maybe, maybe women are people too. I hadn't even thought of it like that. So out comes Vince to the podium to make his fourth draft pick for SmackDown, and he falls prey to the "You're an asshole" chant. Uh, and then he begins to leave, but he decides, no, he'll shut the crowd up another way. 
and tells them that he's drafting Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Uh, yeah, this was this was funny because he just he literally screams it. Like I've got it written down as Hulk Hogan. Hulk, he literally Hulk. just screams it at the top of his lungs. Like I've never even for Vince that seemed like way beyond this like his his capabilities of his voice. It was this. This is a great segment, by the way. Carry on because there's a bit coming up. He does. He, he does Hogan's like. He does yeah, his, his taunts it. and then he just fucked <laughs> off. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was brilliant. He's doing the whole like he does the walk, he does the ear, he does the like the mu- the muscle, and then he just fucking clears off. It was just bizarre. It was oh, it was so. I mean, it's typical Vince, and when Vince impersonates somebody, oh, it's it's never not funny. Yeah, but it's it it's just... like taken up to eleven. He's so cartoonish, <laughs> and oh, the opportunity for Vince to do more of this. Yes, please. Yeah, definitely. I just love yeah. the idea that Vince was like. Well, I've got the largest part of a decade to get back at you, Terry. You fucking backstabbing shit. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great because it happens so often in this <laughs> time period, and it's just, uh, yeah. Th- this is this is. I think this show actually the whole thing. This is me remembering how good Vince was as a heel. Oh, it's incredible! So, so incredible! So so good. We get an advert for the two thousand and two WWF Divas swimsuit issue. Nice. <laughs> Gentlemen, do you like ladies? Do you like wrestler ladies? Do you like ladies' breasts? Do you like ladies' breasts with not much clothes on? Well then, boy, do we have the magazine for you at five ninety nine. <laughs> yeah, a real money spinner at the time. They were, I mean. th- these things ran for ages. The first one of these was in 2001, and they did one every year until 2007. Now, that's fine, that's whatever, you know, swimsuit magazines are not unusual in America. It's fairly common, even. What I thought is probably a little bit of a piss take looking back, it's only the 2007 issue that actually has any kind of articles in it. The the rest of them are just (laughs) photos of the divas. And they're very nice photos, they look lovely, but I don't really know if it justifies the price. But again, when you... when you're a horny little teenager, you don't think of these things, That's do it. you? We have to remember we were the target audience we absolutely for this were. first time. <laughs> Did it work? Did I buy this? I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> so, out comes Flair to make his fourth pick. Fucking hell, have some matches, guys. Jesus. Uh, he announces he has chosen Intercontinental Champion Rob Van Dam. Uh, yeah, this was good. Vince isn't impressed. But Kurt assures Vince that he's on a roll, so it doesn't matter. But Vince tells him that so is Flair, and he wanted RVD on SmackDown. So Kurt asks, <laughs> I love this. Kurt asks when Vince became an RVD fan. Yeah, that was a good line. And Vince yeah. says he's not, but he recognises RVD's talent, and he's the Intercontinental Champion, which would have brought the belt to SmackDown. So Kurt tells Vince all he has to do is sanction a match between RVD and Kurt, and Kurt will bring the belt to SmackDown. Which is a fucking great idea, to be fair. So yeah, he makes yeah. the match, and Kurt leaves, and Vince sort of goes, hmm, maybe Kurt should have been my number one pick. Yeah, that was just, that line just caps it off superbly. Like, that was just good, yeah. So in the locker room, the actual number one pick, The Rock, is joined by Hulk Hogan. And the two shake hands. Hogan concurs that the people made The Rock, saying they did the same for him. Hogan reminds The Rock of what happened the previous week, and suggests they leave Raw by giving the people something to remember, proposing the two of them team up against the NWO. The Rock accepts, 
and the two deliver one another's catchphrases. They are friends. Yeah. This was great. Look at the face on the road. <laughs> he's he having the so time happy. of his fucking life. Like, yeah, he's like every kid wrestling fan getting to stand near his hero. <laughs> it's just me. I, I honestly, like, it genuinely gave me quite a, quite a warm feeling watching that. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like, he, he just looks so happy. And it's just, it's weird. This, the whole segment is. I tell you what's strange about this. I mean, the match is not far away. This is a match that could have sold pay per views. Oh, could you? The Rock and Hogan against the NWO, and they just kind of toss it off in fifteen minutes. Yeah, a bit it's, weird it's, that it's, money it's, money flushed down the loo. That isn't it? Well, they did it with. Uh, I think before WrestleMania, they did it with Austin Rock and the NWO, didn't they? Mm. As well, I'm sure there was a yeah in the that's room. money. That's a money match. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah, See, it's, and, it's, and that was with the original NWO. Yeah, as well, Hogan was still NWO. So like, you just kind of sit there and go, "What are they doing?" Like, great, great for the Penn State fans. Don't get sure. me wrong, but there's yeah, geez, I was there's no wonder that Austin was of the opinion that the writers didn't know what they were doing with his character at this point. <laughs> like he, he yeah. I, it's in it's in one of Jr's books. Like I think it's his second book. He was saying like Austin was really concerned that. They had nothing for him. He was losing steam. He was going in circles, basically. And when they're throwing away money matches, you can kind of see it. Yeah, definitely. They must have, like, thinking about from probably like mid 2001 onwards, there were so many money matches that just kind of got done and just like, yeah, that's it. You know, it it was, yeah. And this is one of them. This is is a really good segment to build to a, a match. And then. I think it happens maybe like ten minutes later. Yeah, <laughs> it's just if that. So, in fact, it's not even that because I can see it. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it's crazy. I, I can't believe that they did that. Even like, even if they just said, "Oh, we'll do it on SmackDown." Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know like I mean? get people to tune into SmackDown, get some ratings yeah, for SmackDown. I just, I just found it really, really strange. Weird. Uh, but it... So Vince comes out to make his fifth pick. And he announces that he has selected the tag team champions, Billy and Chuck, and Rico, their stylist, will be joining them. Uh, Jim Ross notes that the champions cannot be separated by the draft, which I don't know is a rule they ever stuck to, particularly in future, but... I don't think they ever did, no, not after that. You, like, was, I, I know uh... they've done like some very stupid belt-swapping segments, but... Uh, I don't know if they've strictly had that particular rule in future, but anyway, you know that that's the rule here. So whatever, uh, and it accounts for why Vince was allowed to pick two superstars at once. And of course, in gaining Rico, he's actually tied things up with Flair. So that's the real reason they've done it that way, of course. <laughs> so then we get the boot of the week, brought to us by Lugs, which was the NWO taking the Rock and Hogan apart. Not a boot, guys. Yeah, it definitely wasn't the boot. <laughs> Uh, That leads into the tag match uh, Hollywood Hulk Hogan and The Rock versus the NWO uh, which starts off with X-Pac and Hogan X-Pac seems particularly apprehensive to face Hogan and rightly so because Hogan just cuts him (laughs) over the top rope with his (laughs) Yeah, X-Pac does the HPK sell of of Hogan's offense but he actually uh, yeah I thought that was funny I have to say as a kid I didn't particularly like X-Pac and now as an adult I really appreciate him 
I think he's, yeah, he's one of those guys you gain an appreciation for like many years down the line. It's funny though, because he's, I, I don't think it mattered what he did at this point. The crowd just hated him. Oh, they him. fucking hate him. They're him. already chanting X Pack sucks. They get the match, I think the bell rang and they were chanting yeah. it. Like he hasn't done anything. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's just standing there in the ring. Like, leave the guy alone. He's no such wonder, a no slimy little so dweeb though. Yeah, I think that's a lot of it. It was, yeah, that was, but him, him going right over the top, that was entertaining as hell. I wasn't expecting that. It made me laugh. <laughs> lots, of, lots of power moves from Hogan. Uh, as the NWO variously tag in and out, Hogan shoves Hall down and poses. Hall flicks the toothpick <laughs> at Hogan. Yeah, that was great. I don't remember him ever doing that <laughs> when he was in the WWE or WWF run. The second time mm. that was that was great. I enjoyed that because I love I loved Scott Hall. Um, very cool, very charismatic. So I yeah uh, I, I enjoyed that. That was quite funny because it was just like do what the fuck you want. I'm just gonna throw a toothpick. Pretty much. I don't know. I do. I just loved it. I thought it was great. Nash uh, Nash tags in. Nash shoves Hogan down, and Hogan throws off his bandana, which shows he means business because he doesn't reveal that shiny head unless he's serious. <laughs> Nash does not give fuck. Number one, as is Kevin. Nash's very mantra in life. Uh, he belts Hogan with a knee and punches him. Hogan tries to hulk up, and Nash just goes absolutely fuck off and tags X back in, uh, who leg drops Hogan off the ropes for a two. Paul is tagged in, and he and Hogan, this was cool. They do, uh, they like bounce off the ropes at one another, knock one another down with mirror clothes lines, which was a throwback to yeah. the Hogan Ultimate Warrior match at WrestleMania yeah, 6. Yeah, yeah, I Very thought I remember cool. seeing the spot somewhere. That, that, that's cool. Yeah, I thought I'd seen it somewhere before. That's, um, yeah, I, I, I saw it happen and went, I, that looks familiar. Yeah. Where have I seen that? The, uh, uh, the, the famous double down from uh, Mania 6. Indeed. Which is which is strange because Warrior, I think, was on bad terms with pretty much everyone at this point. So I don't know why they were doing a call out to him, but that is cool. Whatever. Um, Hall tags in Nash. Hogan tags in Rock, and Rock cleans house against the whole NWO, which was really cool. Um, he has a very bizarre moment after he beats the shit out of X Pac. Does the Karate Kid crane pose? Oh yes, <laughs> and then yeah. gives him a people's punch, which knocks him out of the ring. <laughs> I think it's because X Pac does it just before, and I, I think it was just supposed to be a piss take. Yeah, it did look very, very odd. Like <laughs> From this six just foot like three man, yeah. for a second. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was entertaining because I remember him doing it with like he, he did that occasionally on the uh, on the five punches mm. where he'd like do. I remember him doing the flare strut. I think yeah. Like, and a, and a few things like that, but I've never seen that before. That was just an extra little yeah, maybe fun he was thing. Trying to yeah. demonstrate something to Hollywood. Maybe he was trying to demonstrate <laughs> his karate skills. I don't know. Trying to be cast as young Daniel San in a remake. <laughs> uh, Rock gives Nash the rock bottom. Hogan gets the tag and fights off Hall to deliver the atomic leg drop to Nash. While Rock gives Hall a spinebuster, which allows Hogan to make the cover, but X Park breaks it up at two. Boo hiss. X Pog <laughs> prepares to use his nunchucks. X Pog has nunchucks now. Yeah, when <laughs> that, that wasn't a thing I've ever seen yeah. him do before. Awesome. X Pog is now a ninja. <laughs> Kane arrives to make the save, though. Clatters X Pog out of the ring, knocks Hall down, gives Nash a big boot. The house is cleaned once again. Ref, of course, has no choice but to throw the match out. Kane gives the choke slam from hell to Hall. Choke slam. Elbow drop. Tombstone pile driver, diving clothesline. These are all moves that Kane can do, and one of them he did indeed deliver. 
<laughs> X-Park makes the save, hitting Kane in the back with a steel chair, but X-Park has forgotten that steel chairs have no effect on Kane. So Kane just <laughs> cunts it into his face with a big boot. Yeah, that was brilliant. I like, just turned around and was just like, ah, oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Rock takes down Hall with a people's punch, and Kane gives him a fucking enormous chokeslam from hell. Um, the NWO are granted the match, but they definitely do not look like winners. I thought this was really fun. I did enjoy it. Yeah, it, it gets it turns into a real schmoz oh, towards gotcha. the end. But I, I think I think it had. To, yeah, you know. the the thing is, like X Pac and The Rock were definitely the workers of the match. Oh, yeah, it was like they, they were kind of the ones doing the the wrestling. Everyone else was kind of working basic punches and kicks and throwing one another over around an actual match, you know. Uh, but the crowd were into it, and that was that's good. It made a nice change from oh, all yeah. the really short matches that we'd had previously. And obviously, you know, send in. So it it kind of it, it kind of served the double purpose because obviously the NWO are given the win, so technically on paper they're not any worse off. But at the same time, you know, the good guys get the, the happy little send off as they leave for SmackDown, so that's quite nice. Yeah, and the love for Hogan at this point oh, is you could you could see it developing into what would eventually become his, his next title. Absolutely, that they absolutely love him. I don't think I've ever seen. Like, guys get good pops all the time. The Rock is still heavily popular mm. here, you know, and things like that. But Hogan, it's just an outpouring of love. I don't think I've ever really seen that from a wrestling crowd before or since. Possibly the only equivalent in the recent past is when Punk returned. Um, yeah. It's the only thing I can think of that's anywhere near what Hogan's getting here. And this is on a random episode of Raw. Sure. This isn't, like, a surprise return. It, they're just, they're just loving. They're just eating it up. It, Everything he does is getting massive. Yeah, here. it's pretty well sustained for the next couple of months for him as well. Yeah, it lasted quite a while. I, I don't think they ever really in that run. I don't think they ever really turned on him. Like no. in terms of, I don't think they ever got bored of what he was doing. It was, it was quite interesting to see. They, like, I, I think they managed to keep him fresh in ways that they really didn't in his original WWF run because obviously he's back in you know the eighties and early nineties. It was. Very formulaic, the Hogan sort of stuff, and we are going to see that with um, certain other main event performers in this era, shall we say? <laughs> um, but they, I, like we kind of alluded to last episode, there's a little bit more of an understanding on how to use Hogan for the better this time around. So that's great. Um, yeah. So Vince backstage bursts into Flair's war room and confronts him about stealing the Undertaker and the NWO. <laughs> Vince asks Flair what's going on, but Flair tells him he doesn't have to explain anything to Vince. So in the heat of the moment, Flair announces he's drafting Booker T. Vince tries to one-up Flair and drafts Edge. And then Flair <laughs> volleys back and drafts the Big Show. And then Vince drafts Rikishi. And then Flair yeah, tells him I... they'll get to see Rikishi sit on Vince's face. Ooh, daddy! I felt quite sorry for Rikishi in this segment because it was like constant escalation and then Vince says Rikishi and it kind of gets nothing <laughs> in the crowd. It's just like, uh, okay, yeah, it was it was weird. I've got this written down as two old men yell at each other and Pretty then much. they just make like 900 draft picks in 30 <laughs> seconds. It was, it was a slightly bizarre segment. It was, I get what they were going for because they're building up, sure. you know, oh, there's the rivalry and all that, but it was just, it, it was surprisingly hilarious because it was like, I'm taking Booker T, I'm taking Edge and it was just like, okay, how many people on the roster are you going to go through? I, I, I think they just realised it was taking fucking forever and just did a rapid fire round. 
Because the, if they'd have had to, if they'd have had to have done the whole, come out to the podium, make an announcement for the whole thing, and the, you know, if they're each getting twenty people, or like whether it was or twenty total or whatever it was, that would have took all goddamn nights. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you would have would have been, it would have been a three hour mm. roll, which uh, we now <laughs> which we now know is not a good thing. Um, <laughs> no. uh, like one final funny little bit though, Vince just decides to be a petulant little child and just shoves Flair and then leaves. <laughs> Yeah, He's that such was a great. wanker, it's great. <laughs> Tag team implications then up next. We've got Jeff Hardy, joined by Lita and Matt Hardy, against Billy with Rico and Chuck. Uh, another short little match. Uh, the two of them lock up. Billy gets Jeff in the corner to stomp and punch the absolute shit out of him. He really did, didn't he? He, <laughs> he was, was putting some stink on, on him. Uh, Billy dominates Jeff... But uh, Jeff dodges a flying forearm, and Billy eats the turnbuckle. Jeff hits Billy with a leaping double axe handle and delivers a double leg drop. Billy tries to stop Jeff, but Jeff catches him with a tornado DDT, which is always a cool move. Jeff climbs to the top rope, and Chuck tries to knock him off, but both Hardys deal with him. Jeff goes for the swanton, but Billy rolls out of the way. Rico grabs one of the tag belts... But Lita leaps on the apron and nails Rico with a really shit-looking Hurricane Rana. So in the midst of all this, though, I, I, I out of the corner of my eye, I saw Matt Hardy, and he was beating the ever-loving shit out of Chuck Palumbo, <laughs> like, over against the gun. He's just beating the fuck out of him. And I'm like, whoa, okay, okay, he's not going to interfere anymore. Leave him alone. Stop, stop, he's already dead. You know, he's like, what is happening? He's getting his own back. It's like, well, if Billy can beat up my brother, I'm going to beat up your brother. <laughs> it was so fucking funny. I just, I, It was one of those things, nobody references it, I which I think makes it funny. Just, <laughs> just beating the shit out of him, and like, yeah, it was. I mean, to be fair, nothing at all was being referenced by the commentary team no. in this match. They used the opportunity here to, I think, just air out some resentment between each other. They were, <laughs> they were at it the entire match. I think they, I think they called about three spots in the entire match. The rest of it is just them arguing about the draft and Lawler saying that Jr. might get drafted and Jr. basically being, you know, it was just, it was, it was. It was very, very strange. In the confusion, then, Jeff rolls Billy up, picks up the win, and that's it. Just just a nothing match, few exciting spots, (laughs) nothing to write home about, just two... two teams that like beating the shit out of one another, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Back in Flair's war room, he decides he's going to pick the most dominant tag team in WWF history and drafts Bubba Ray Dudley. Unfortunately, he's not counted on Vince remaining true to form, as in Vince's war room, Vince immediately drafts Devon Dudley, <laughs> thus splitting up the Dudley boys. And backstage, uh, the Dudley boys are heartbroken and enraged. The two of them shake hands and hug, and the rest of the roster give a big old sitcom, Oh. <laughs> this was, this was... I was expecting Bubba to turn around and go, shut your fucking mouth! <laughs> yeah. I'll fucking kill you! Good. <laughs> I forgot all about this. I remember them breaking them up, but I didn't remember that segment. Mm. Of course, that gives us the wonderfulness that is Reverend Dean. Oh, um, my brother. Which I, which I am looking forward to you covering. Oh, my in, God, yes. In later episodes. Um, I'll I tell you one thing I found a bit strange, and I think it's just my sense of humor. Mm. Again, they started putting the graphics up to say who'd been picked by who. Sure. 
and they, I, I can't remember the numbers, so they're probably wrong, but I think it was something like three-time WWF Tag Team Champions and seven-time ECW, maybe. But they put that up for Bubba and then put it up for Devon as though like they would have won the tag titles with anyone else. I just, I, I, I couldn't work out why they did it. I was like, yeah, of course. Obviously. Like, like, like Bubba Ray Dudley's like a 19-time tag champion and Devon's won it four times or something. You know, it was just, the sheer coincidence, I, I, I yeah. Yeah, I was just like, all oh, right, okay, well, that seemed a bit pointless, but okay, carry on. So, <laughs> next we get we get another little match. It's not not just more talking and talking and talking. They actually put a match on. This is for, well, well, <laughs> well sort of, kind of, maybe-ish. <laughs> it's uh, scheduled to be a WWF European Championship match. Uh, Rikishi and champion William Regal. But... Before Eagle can get down the entrance ramp, <laughs> Brock Lesnar hits the ring and clatters the absolute fuck out of Rikishi with a clothesline. <laughs> Lesnar follows up with a spinebuster and delivers his as-yet-unnamed F5 finishing move. Lesnar and Paul Heyman triumphantly pose in the ring, and of course the match naturally is thrown out. And quite amusingly, you can catch Regal walking to the back, evidently deciding, well, clearly I'm not going to be working this evening. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> Easiest yeah, was, night's uh... work William Regal has ever had. I, I that, This was funny, because I, I remember some of this show, and Rikishi's music hit, and I was like, who the hell did he wrestle on this show? <laughs> and then, like, Regal comes out. I'm like, oh, cool, I don't remember this match at all. And I was like, oh, this is why I don't remember this match. <laughs> okay, right. Um, yeah, well, Wild Brock Lesnar appears. Mm. It was that. Yeah, God, it's it's weird to see him in 2002 now. Like, yeah, it was. I mean, he's still pretty much the same guy. Yeah. That's the scariest part. Apart from the weird sword tattoo he's got now. But, like,. Yeah, he doesn't look that much different. It was, uh, yeah, they're really building Lesnar here as like, they don't use the next big thing yet, but it's pretty clear where they're going oh, with yeah. it. It's um, as evidenced by... I, I, I think after well. after the first couple of weeks of him being on TV, I think the fans have pretty well figured out that Lesnar is going places. <laughs> yeah, definitely, because there's an audible reaction as oh, well yeah. when he actually appears in the ring, compared to like the first couple of times, certainly the first time, when it just looked like, hey, who the hell's that? <laughs> Somebody just run in from the crowd. <laughs> Whereas now it's like, uh, oh cool, someone's about to die. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Live at WWF New York is the WWF Women's Champion, Jazz. JR asks her how she thinks the draft is shaping up so far. Jazz says she's waiting to see where the Divas end up, as she looks forward to getting in the ring with them, stating that as the WWF Women's Champion, she'll be the only bitch appearing on both shows. Her words, not mine. <laughs> Has there ever been a good promo from WWF New York? Uh, no. <laughs> I, I, I immediately started having Jerry Lynn flashbacks as soon as Jazz started talking here. And they never really went away. She wasn't bad, but it was just like... I just thought, oh god, the set. It sounded stilted. Yeah. You know what I mean? She, she's not somebody that ever. Re- she's a tremendous wrestler. Oh, incredible! She absolutely kicks ass at this time, but she cannot cut a promo. She just sounds like she doesn't want to be there. But and like the commentary team don't react. No, like Jr. Just kind of like, huh? Oh. <laughs> the thing with like, oh, right, the okay. thing with Jazz is like you don't really want her to be cut in promos. You want her to come out and kick the tar yeah. out of people and then go, you know? So, it, mm. it, it, I know, to me, it's strange that you'd send a heel to WWF New York anyway, because surely you want, you know, the, the point of that is you've got someone there for a meet and greet, and, like, surely the fans would want a baby face that they can get the photo with, rather than 
You would take you know so, someone to you? someone to call them a bunch of <laughs> hicks that support a smelly sports team. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's it. weird. Yeah, it's a, it's a bizarre. So Vince makes his way out to the podium, despite it not being his turn to make a pick. Cheeky bastard. <laughs> uh, he states his intent to draft Brock Lesnar. Flair comes out. <laughs> he's just like he's very curt about it. Like it's not your turn. I love the yeah, <laughs> like, delivery of this line. Is fucking just doing perfect. you idiots. It's not your pick. (laughs) Man said it's my turn to go on the podium. Uh, Vince tells Flair that he can have two picks in a row, and Flair refuses and drafts Brock Lesnar. (laughs) Honestly, stupid asshole move from Vince, really. Yeah, that's it. I don't think it would. It might not have even been in Flair's mind, and then he's just like, "Yeah, oh, this is another one where they start escalating." Yeah, rapid well. fire again. Vince chooses Mark Henry. Flair, yeah, like what the? F- <laughs> no, just no, on, though. One, one no. second on the Mark Henry pick. He's like, I'm, I'm going to take someone with Brock Lesnar's potential, Mark Henry. I'm like, well, Mark Henry is probably a good like five, six years older than Lesnar yeah. at this point. And you've sent him to developmental three times in the time that you've had him under contract. Are you? I know he ends up having a great run, but this is like 2011 mm. that he has this run. Certainly not in 2002. I just found that really bizarre. It's very odd. Vince, Vince trying to get his money's worth out of Mark Henry, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I, I gotta say, again, cards on the table. Mark Henry's one of those guys who, for years on end, it's like, why, why you keep, what, yeah, where are, what are you doing with this guy? Where is this going? Are you gonna put him in the main event, or are you just gonna dick us all around for the next however many years? And then eventually he gets there, and he's great. Yeah, that's it. It just took a really long yeah. time. But you know, it just goes to show sometimes you you gotta you gotta let the yeah, gotta let, the, gotta let the food simmer for a little while before you serve it up. <laughs> so Flair uh drafts William Regal and as a result locks down the European Championship for Raw. And backstage Regal is unimpressed with that, having wanted to work for Vince. Uh, to prevent Flair from drafting any more championships, more on which later, Vince drafts Maven and brings the Hardcore Championship to SmackDown with his last pick of the night. And for Flair's final pick, he chooses Lita. Yeah, what was this? Yeah. This didn't make sense to me. What What was... I, I, I didn't get what they were trying to do here. Like, they're not going to use Lita against Met. No, so. it was very, very odd. Um... And the and the thing is, of course, because the women's championship at this point is on both shows, Flair can't even say, "Well, I'm building the women's division around yeah. it," because like you might not get that. Uh, yeah, exactly. So yeah, it is very strange, but it, it leads into this other little bit of back and forth. Vince uh, mocks Flair for picking a woman, which is a bit, which is a bit <laughs> yeah. cuntish, even for Vince, really. Um, That's very 2002, mm, isn't it? The fans approve of of Lita, though. Uh, Vince accuses yeah. Flair of picking Lita as he's a lascivious pig who'll turn Roar into a cesspool. <laughs> now, the way he says lascivious pig is just, <laughs> just absolutely brilliant. There's a, I don't think there's anybody other than Vince that could make that line. No. Word, to be honest. Uh, he is confident that the draft lottery, which is yet to come, will go his way, and he'll lock down Stone Cold too. Vince tells Flair if he brings his Raw draftees to SmackDown to cause trouble, the SmackDown roster will be ready to fight them off. And to cap off all the all the things they've been doing all night, Flair tells Vince the crowd have been right all along. Vince is an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> so that's kind of the end of the draft, really. For at least for the for the yeah. televised stuff, we'll get onto the the lottery bit in a bit. Um, so 
weird, underwhelming kind of end to this whole thing that they've been hyping up all night. Mm. I kind of can't help but think that what probably happened was they realised it was taking ages, it was going to cut into the matches, and they just thought, well, sod it, we'll rapid fire it, we can give the matches a little bit more gravitas. Because obviously the main event is really important, the match that's coming up next is quite important as well, so maybe they just thought, ah, screw it, we'll just race through them. Yeah, it did feel that it started to feel a bit rushed at this mm. point. Definitely, there was there was definitely something going on here. It just seemed to it seemed to accelerate from this point yeah. on, almost as if they went, "Oh shit, we've run out of time." <laughs> <laughs> but that is indeed the end of Vince and Flair for the evening. As up next, we have the WWF Intercontinental Championship on the line as Rob Van Dam defends against Kurt Angle, and of course, as previously stipulated, whoever wins this match will be taking the belt to their show. So, uh, Angle gives RVD a German suplex before the bell even rings, uh, but only gets a one count for it. Uh, Kurt gets RVD in the corner, stomps and punches away at him. RVD rolls Kurt over and catches him with a big old kick for a two count. Uh, Just lots of trading back and forth suplexes and strikes and, you know, booting one another in the face and... uh, (laughs) Kurt goes for the, the rolling German suplexes, which is quite cool, but RVD fights him off and gets a rolling thunder, which is a neat little sequence. That only gets a two count, though. Yeah, that was good. Um, deciding he wants no part of working with uh, the very stiff Rob Van Dam, Angle gets out of the ring, grabs the belt, but RVD decides to stop Kurt from hitting him, quite right too, and slams Kurt into the steel <laughs> steps. Uh, he gets cut back in the ring, climbs the turnbuckle to throw a diving kick, but Angle shoves the referee in the way. RVD tries to help the ref, but Angle gives RVD an angle slam and then locks in the ankle lock. The referee calls for the bell, disqualifying Kurt for shoving him into RVD's <laughs> kick. Uh, so, of course, due to the disqualification and, of course, RVD being given the match anyway, the belt does not go to SmackDown. Edge hits the ring to save RVD from the ankle lock. Uh, and gives Kurt a really o- impressive overhead belly-to-belly. Yeah. Great stuff from Edge. Edge is always fun to watch, though, i got to say. Uh, Edge attempts a spear. Angle leapfrogs it and gives Edge a German. And then goes for Angle slam, but Edge escapes, hits the ropes, and nails the spear to Angle. The spear was nasty mm. as well. That, that was a genuine... I think because Edge's uh, neck issues towards the end of his career kind of became a bit more of a running hug, yes. but that was definitely when he was still doing the spear. That was a big time. This was a this was a real knock the wind out of his spear for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so a group of referees hit the ring in order to try and break up the fight. Uh, Kurt and RVD, I got to say, great chemistry, uh, and what a little we saw of them together here was tons of fun, but. Unfortunately, even though this is quite an important match, it didn't go as long as I would have liked, i, I got to say. No, and I don't think we saw a ton of Angle RVD, did we? Not really, like, no. They they pretty well stayed apart on, on the brands, it's got to be said. Yeah, which is a pity, because it seemed like there was... It definitely seemed like there was a good match in there. They could have say, absolutely had a main event caliber match, no question. But I think, it, once again, it goes back to that whole thing of, you know, RVD... 
famed for working quite stiff, and obviously maybe you don't <laughs> want to put one of your top stars up against him and have his jaw kicked off every night. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, that was always the mm. issue, wasn't it, with RVD? It's a shame, really, because... And the other thing from this, RVD is another one that's seriously... Oh, open, God, the crowd love And it. you sit there and you go, why didn't they just pull the trigger? But obviously there was more to it. Oh, there that. was. But uh, all that is yet to come, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I also got to say, even though it was only a short little run-in, Edge and Kurt, amazing chemistry. Yeah, that works really well, and they keep this going for a they while. Do. They do, and we'll be team. we'll be having a match between these two on our next episode, and it's very, very, <laughs> very good. Um, but I mean, they're, they're super close friends in real life. They came up in the company around the same time, so they know one another very well. I, th- I believe they trained together, you know, the the Dory Funk dojo, if I remember right. I think they did, yeah. They, it, certainly the timescales would, would So, th- these two know one another inside and out, and they're both high-level, top-caliber athletes as well, so you put these two together, you're going to get something brilliant. So more on that next time, dear listeners. <laughs> but for now, Backstage, Stephanie McMahon heads towards the ring for her match, and she looks, honestly, quite frankly, stunning, I have to say. Yeah, she did. She looked really good on this show. Um... Michael Cole stops her, and he reminds her that she may be on her way out of the WWF if she gets pinned by Triple H. And Stephanie assures Cole that she's going to win the WWF Championship and walks off. This is such a bizarre match to me. Mm. Like, I think you covered it last week as well because they announced it. On the oh, they fumbled the, uh... this good and proper. So we had, yeah. we have here the WWF Rewind, which only serves to complicate matters. Brought <laughs> <laughs> to us by Castro GTX, and this is a recap cool. of Stephanie assuring everyone she'll be leaving Raw as the first ever female undisputed champion, which would have been cool, but was clearly not going to happen. But it might have. <laughs> but um, okay, so. The match, let, let, let's break this down for anyone that didn't catch last episode. This was originally going to be Chris Jericho versus Triple H for the WWF Championship. Simple. We can understand that. Then, <laughs> Triple H tricks Stephanie into being involved in the match. So now, it's Chris Jericho versus Triple H versus Stephanie McMahon. And... We're not even through being complicated yet. (laughs) If Triple H pins Stephanie, she is gone from the company. But if Jericho pins Stephanie, she stays in the company, and he's the champion, and nothing in particular happens to Triple H, he's just there. (laughs) But if Stephanie pins Triple H, then she's the champion. But if Stephanie pins Jericho, then she's the champion. But Stephanie and Jericho are friends. But oh my god, it's so complicated. <laughs> it's such a bizarre. They seem to love these stipulations. There's a few sort of in the in the recent past as well, and it's just like you, you have to make it simpler than yeah. this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like the it's like the whole thing with um, I can't even remember what it was. It's some kind of gimmick match or other. And like they put the you know the rules of the match upon. I think he was in TNA, and they put the the rules up on screen. And then there was another screen, and everyone was like, "If you can't fit the rules on one page, it's too complicated." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it, like it, this it, kind it, of has yeah. that too. Like it, it it worked out all right in the end, but the thing is, like they explained it really badly on the previous week's Raw, and then they didn't do a very good job of tidying it up on the previous week's SmackDown either. 
No, and they just kind of throw away mention yeah. it on, on this show. Yeah. Suddenly like, oh yeah, Stephanie can be champion, by the way. It's like, oh, all right. And also, JR says he smells a rat about 1,500 <laughs> times during the course of the show. I, I, you're like, yeah, okay, we get it. I know, I know what you think is going to happen. I understand. They really were selling this hard mm. that, like, Stephanie could become champion, but was probably just trying to screw Triple yeah. H over. Um, also, calling a lady in wrestling a rat is really not very nice, Jim. <laughs> so, this is a good long match, i got to say. Um, I've got quite a lot of notes on this one. <laughs> Yeah, me too. It went off quite And time, I, as it? it should have. You know, even even though it's a, a raw main event, it's a WWF championship match, it deserves a little gravitas. So to begin with, Steph gets on the apron and you know, she's just content to watch the, the boys work one another over. She keeps sort <laughs> of teasing getting involved and then backing away whenever Triple H walks yeah. towards her. She's so good in this. Um Jericho clotheslines Triple H out of the ring, and then he goes to follow him, but Steph's like, get in the ring and pin me, you fucking idiot! <laughs> yeah, that was quite um, funny, because like, you hear her over the crowd as well. <laughs> she, I mean, she, she is proper shrill, oh, yeah. but like, she, she's literally said it at the top of her voice. Like, oh, it was, so, yeah, there's some really ref, good stuff. Uh, ref reaches a two-count, but Triple H drags Jericho out of the ring, fortunately. Saving his championship from being lost in the stupidest fashion imaginable. <laughs> uh, Triple H gets back in the ring, grabs Steph, goes to pedigree her. Jericho pulls her out of the ring to safety, and his chivalry is rewarded with a baseball slide kick from Triple H, which also yeah, knocks Stephanie cool. over. <laughs> yeah, that was a good spot because it was just like you don't really see Triple H do baseball no. slides either, so it was a little bit out of the ordinary. I really enjoyed that because he just like absolutely batters both of them <laughs> in the face, and they just both go flying. It was so good. Uh, Trips heads outside the ring, throws Jericho into the steps. Rolls Stephanie back into the ring and she tries to crawl away from him like a confused child. Yeah. <laughs> he stands over this cowering, squealing woman and pulls her up by the hair. But in comes Jericho to rescue her. Goes for a drop kick uh, as Triple H bounces off the ropes, but Jer- uh, Triple H catches Jericho's legs, slingshots Jericho into Steph. Oh, who then great. falls over and lands headfirst on Jericho's groin. Yeah, the groin spot. It's just like... <laughs> yeah. then, that was a really creative way to it do was. it. I really liked how they And then as a capper, get, though, Triple H kicks Stephanie in the arse and knocks her out of the ring. <laughs> yeah, and you get a really good ordinary JR line of, we'll never know if that left a mark on Jericho. <laughs> it was just, uh, yeah, that was, that was actually when I wrote down, uh, what the hell is going on with him tonight? He just seems to be snarking at absolutely everything. <laughs> Horny Jericho. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, we, we think this is a recent development but he's here in 2002 <laughs> uh, Jericho gives Triple H a chop block to take him down works him over with punches and uh, gives an elbow drop to the surgically repaired knee of Triple H ooh what a heel Steph at Jericho's <laughs> behest uh, joins in the fun and takes childlike glee in dropping elbows on Hunter uh, Joko puts Triple H in the leg lock and uses the ropes for leverage as Stephanie distracts the referee but Triple H kicks Jericho into Steph knocking her down Jericho helps Steph up and she slaps him in anger yeah. he, he pie faces her to the mat um, and she starts to lose her temper and tells him to think about what's at stake so they, they both sort of calm down a little bit 
<laughs> and then Jericho bulldogs Triple H and attempts a lion salt. Triple H rolls out of the way, though, and Jericho whams into the mat, and then Steph tries to cover him, that backstabbing cow. <laughs> so the alliance is now officially broken. Jericho blocks a slap from Steph and puts her in the walls. Uh, Triple H breaks it up because obviously Stephanie would almost certainly submit to that near instantly. Jericho throws a clothesline at Triple H, who ducks. Uh, unfortunately, Stephanie does not and eats it. She, can I just say, by the way, how good is Steph in this match? She is really She is taking a licking. Yeah, there's a natural McMahon mm. heel thing going on there. She she does it really well. I don't. I didn't remember this match that well. And it was actually better than I remember it. Better being. than it, you would certainly um, expect, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she 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 is really good here. She plays the heel to mm. perfection right up until the end. Yeah, well. gotcha. So Triple H throws Jericho out of the ring and motions to the fans that he's going to give Steph a pedigree. He pulls her to her feet, gets ready for the pedigree, but Jericho just breaks it up with a missile dropkick from the top turnbuckle and picks up a two count. Uh, and then he gets frustrated and repeatedly tries to pin <laughs> Triple H, but he can only get a two count. Yeah, he's doing the old he's doing the old regal yes. spot of the multiple <laughs> multiple covers, isn't he? It was uh, yeah, it was an odd one. That uh, Jericho gets out of the ring, shoves the timekeeper out of the way, and grabs oh, this is Triple brilliant. H's championship belt and a chair. <laughs> yeah, like how many weapons does one guy need? Just greedy. Like me on no mercy back in the day, just like. Get all the weapons, just keep chucking him in the ring. He's doing his one man ECW like chair burial thing at this point. So the ref takes the chair from Jericho and he yeah. then goes behind the ref's back to hit Triple H with the WCW belt. Just as Triple H meets him with the WWF belt, so both <laughs> men get yeah. knocked down. Steph gets in the ring, sees they're both down, covers Triple H and gets a two, and then she get, decides, well, fuck it, and covers Jericho and gets a two. <laughs> Steph is starting to get cocky at this point and beckons Triple H to his feet. She bounces off the ropes and he knocks her fucking head off with a clothesline. Yeah, he really does. Absolutely batters the poor woman. Jericho uh, grabs Triple H's legs, locks in the walls of Jericho. Uh, Triple H cries out in pain but refuses to give in and reaches for the ropes. Steph leaps onto Jericho's back and breaks the hold but Jericho (laughs) throws her to the mat. Uh, Triple H hits Jericho with a pedigree and covers him, but Steph leaps to break up the cover at two. Jericho flops out of the ring as Triple H rises and stares daggers at Stephanie, who whimpers this tiny, pathetic, oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Triple H grabs Steph by the hair, gives her a spine buster, picks up the three count and the win, retains the WWF Championship. Presumably chose to do a spine buster because he didn't want to smash his real-life lover's face. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I thought that was like I didn't think that was the finish, and I thought, well, she's not going to kick out. Of a Surely, of course, of course, she didn't. But I was kind of like, oh right, that's a little. It weird. was a bit odd. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, obviously, the the two of them have had previous pedigree related incidents, including one rather infamous moment on an announce yeah, table. Yeah, very true. <laughs> but yeah, um, true. yeah I, I can only assume that they decided that would be safer for Steph to take. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I, I know we, we mentioned this last time, obviously Triple H isn't really smashing people's faces in, but Steph is quite a lot smaller than he is. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, considerably, yeah. yeah. So with Stephanie now ousted from the WWF, 
Triple H beckons security officers to the ring and they try to pull her away and she clings on to every <laughs> oh, surface she can find. So good. She's dragged away crying, kicking, screaming, and she's completely helpless to stop Triple H from leading the audience in one final rendition yeah. of Nana Hey Hey Goodbye. <laughs> so I have a question. Yes. Did the WWF own the publishing rights to this song in the early 2000s? I... The amount of time it gets there. <laughs> You'd think they were getting royalties, evil. wouldn't you? Yeah, it was honestly. I was. It's a banana rum song, sure. right? That it's based it's, on. And I was just like, it's not. Do they own this? It's not uncommon <laughs> at uh, American sporting events, as I understand it. Certainly, ah, right, certainly, okay. it gets used at ice hockey events. I remember, I remember singing it myself at a few of those over the years. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just it's one of those things where. Like in Britain, we have a lot of football chants that even non-fans like myself would recognise, and yeah, I think the yeah, the Nana song is one that Americans. <laughs> that's one of theirs. Gets, it really yeah, does get some, some cracking rendition. Oh, don't you well. just? There's some, there's some great comedy uh, out of it. There's an absolutely demented Vince one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so naturally, the fans are delighted to see Steph go, and they cheer as she finally gets her just desserts. And Raw goes off the air. But the draft continued over at WWF.com, where a draft lottery assigned roster members to each brand. And here is how it went down. Aren't you excited? It's a big list of names. <laughs> SmackDown earned the following wrestlers. Billy Kidman, Tajiri, and the WWF Cruiserweight Championship. Which you may note was not attempted to be claimed by either GM. I was going to say that they just suddenly remember the Cruiserweight yeah. title existed. <laughs> also heading to SmackDown, Chris Jericho, Ivory, Albert, The Hurricane, Al Snow, Lance Storm, Diamond Dallas Page, Tory Wilson, Scotty Too Hotty, Stacy Keebler, Christian, Test, who incidentally in storyline is immune from being fired until November, yes, of course. which uh, accounts for his behaviour in the coming weeks, shall we say? Uh, Farouk, Taz, Hardcore Holly, Val Venus, and Perry Saturn. And I have to say, Taz is a bit of an unfair pick, really, considering what he ends up doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah that Ta- is Taz does one. not end up as a wrestler on SmackDown, ladies and gentlemen, but oh well, never mind. Uh, Raw, meanwhile, earned the following superstars. Bradshaw, Stephen Richards, Matt Hardy, Raver, Jeff Hardy, Mr. Perfect, Spike Dudley, D'Lo Brown, Sean Stasiak, Terry, Jacqueline, Goldust, Trish Stratus, Just Incredible, Big Boss Man, Tommy Dreamer, Crash Holly, and Mighty Molly. Uh, the tag team casualties of the draft, in addition to the Dudley Boys, were the APA and the Holly Cousins, but Team Extreme, Matt, Jeff and Lita, defied the odds and managed to keep all three members together. Yeah, that was a surprise, because they, they tried to sort of split them once before, mm. hadn't they? They hadn't really taken. Um, and yeah, they, they I thought they were going to do it here. I couldn't actually remember if they had done it, but I seem to remember when they did, it was on TV when... Um, I I very much get the feeling that they probably thought right we split the Dudleys we split the APA let's not push our luck we <laughs> yeah, we need certainly. one established tag team yeah almost certainly also D'Lo Brown mm. being drafted I don't remember him being a thing I don't re- I don't really remember him being around in two thousand two uh, he I think he kind of just floated around because he'd always been one of 
former head writer Vince Russo's friends, yeah. and he was sort of tarred with that brush, unfortunately, which is a damn shame because he's a great old wrestler. He was really good. Yeah, he was. He was really good. He ends up coming back, doesn't yes, he? I he think does. later on in 2002. Yeah. But yeah, at the time, I remember seeing that. As I said earlier, I was looking at the draft lottery on WWE.com and I was like, D'Lo Brown, when was the last time? A <laughs> good old while. <laughs> yeah, you know, I remember, but I think it was... I think it was lowdown with the when with Tiger Ali Singh oh, was the last time he was. What a death knell that was. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing that says uh, this gimmick's dead more than that. Does it? <laughs> Hi, we're putting you with Tiger Ali. Great, Singh. Oh, thanks. Okay, yeah. I'll shoot yeah, myself now. Cool. Uh, but wait, I hear you cry, or at least those of you who've been keeping a score. SmackDown had twenty nine picks, and Raw only had 28. What a rip-off. Doesn't that mean that SmackDown has one more roster member than Raw? Well, fret ye not, dear readers. Well, listeners. Because all's going to be brought even on the following Monday's episode. Um, suffice to say, because we're not going to be doing full episode coverage of this one, the next week's episode of Raw focused on trying to procure the services of Stone Cold Steve Austin. And Vince snuck into the building as well. And he and Flair both did their level best to win Austin over. Austin, of course, with all the history he has with Vince, wasn't interested on in going to SmackDown, gave him a stunner, signed the contract with Raw, and then gave Flair a stunner as well. Why not? Yeah, that was bizarre. Like, what the hell are they doing here? Very odd. Um... Yeah, it was very, very strange. So that's that, then. That's the uh, that's the whole episode. What do we think? What, what, what do we reckon? I actually really enjoyed this, and I, I think it's because I haven't really watched a lot of the time frame that I, you know, like the time mm. frame that I grew up watching it. I, I enjoyed this far more than I expected to. There was a lot of talking. There really was. But they put entertaining people on the show. Like Angle talks a lot, and he's absolutely superb. Vince mm. is on another level the whole night. The Rock was good. Jr's hilarious. I don't know what's wrong with Jr. <laughs> but it was it was so so good. There, there was a lot of good things, and it, it, I don't know. It was just there was something about it. There was a bit of a feel to it that I haven't had watching a WWE show in quite a long time. Um, the the crowd were into it pretty much the whole yes. way. Um, I love hearing that raw theme. Mm. I, I, like that, that's one of those things that I'm never going to not enjoy. Like it's a real nostalgia trip. Like the matches weren't great, apart from maybe the last one. And Angle RVD was good until they cut it off quite, quite abruptly. Yeah. But yeah, it was a, it was a good episode. It was a good episode, and it's a reminder that they, you know, they were producing some, still producing some pretty good TV at this Absolutely. time. Absolutely, you still wanted to watch it. It was still good, and then. Yeah, I, I yeah, I really like this. It was a good episode of Raw. I I would concur. I think the match is absolutely too short, but I unfortunately, as we've previously alluded to, this one had to, by its very nature, be a segment heavy yeah. episode because it like they were setting up a whole new world basically. Like the the company was going to change the following week completely overnight. Effectively, you know, the the landscape of the company was going to be as never before. Yeah, and I don't think anybody like anybody really knew what was going to happen mm. in the long run with you know with the draft. I think even the WWE to an extent were kind of like okay, we're going to do this, but I don't actually know what it's going to do to the roster. We don't actually know what, you know, we don't actually know what 
sure. do with some of these people. So and I think it was quite an open book at this absolutely. point. Absolutely. And I think one of the other problems they were facing at the time as well was, even though they'd done this draft, it feels, looking back, the writers weren't necessarily confident in every move they'd made. So yeah. backstage, even though even though this had been written, you know, by the writing team, backstage, in terms of the actual production of the show, the writers and producers are actually trying to swap with one another and get talent that are better suited to them and their show. Which is going to have some pretty fantastic results, particularly for SmackDown, I have to say. Yeah, it's quite interesting, and it's somewhat typical of, the. I think, the way the WWE operates. It wasn't just a televised rivalry, it was genuinely they tried to foster it backstage yeah. too. And that's quite an interesting thing. I can't think of many other large companies that were genuinely. No, it was, it was very much. See, I, I've got a I've got a friend, and obviously WWE recently did a, a series of mini documentaries about this time period. You know, carefully skirting around the things they can't mm. really talk about. And there was a lot of talk about how there wasn't any competition. Let's make our own competition. And one of my friends was like, that's ridiculous. Why would you, why would you even come out with that kind of bullshit? And I was like, no, no, genuinely that's real. That happened. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Like the, the writers on both sides were trying to outdo one another. They were trying to get better ratings and better segments than one another. The wrestlers were trying to outperform one another. It, it worked. Honestly, it sounds stupid considering at the end of the day, it's the same company really. And all the money goes in the same part, but it worked brilliantly. And at least for the first couple of years, in particular, just the phenomenal stuff. Yeah. This, this first, certainly this first 18 months mm. of it are really, really good. Um, you even get like, Obviously, this is later on. Once they start going down the GM's route mm. and stuff, there is a genuine attempt to build a rivalry between the two brands yeah. on TV as well as off TV, and I think that really worked well. It's just that they kind of they ended up going to the well with it a little bit too much, and kind yeah. of they started to water it down. But at this stage, this is brilliant, and it genuinely did feel like two completely different sure. shows as well, which is the bit that sort of went missing. Later yes, on. I would agree but with at that. At this stage, I thought that was, I thought this was really good. They did genuinely make it like, yeah, SmackDown is a completely different mm. show. And to be honest, I only really got to watch Raw. So at that time, so a lot of what happened on SmackDown, I saw the occasional SmackDown, sure. but I saw a lot more mm. Raw. And yeah, there was, well, that feels like a bad thing because <laughs> I think I think SmackDown was probably the I show. I would be inclined uh, to say there's there's a stretch coming up where Paul Heyman is the head writer on SmackDown, and I think it's a very strong contender for the best wrestling TV show that has ever existed. <laughs> yeah, I, there's a there's a spell yeah. there. And I remember this well because you and I were talking a lot at this time and we, we did pieces of writing on wrestling mm. and what have you. And I remember the buzz around SmackDown at the time and the whole you know, the whole SmackDown six and all those kind of things. It was just really, 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 really it, good. It absolutely and, was a, a different feel on SmackDown. Um, and this is something that I'm really looking forward to getting into as particularly as that sort of solidifies because Raw becomes the entertainment show and SmackDown becomes mm. the wrestling show. Not to say that SmackDown wasn't entertaining or that Raw didn't have good matches, but the the focus and the way that they balanced the scales yeah, was the different. Yeah, different. So Raw, yeah. Raw was perhaps more storyline heavy, whereas with SmackDown it was like, 
okay, there is a storyline, there is a feud, but it focuses on getting to the match. The match is the meat on SmackDown, whereas on Raw, the storyline is the meat, but you're still going to get a match at the end of it. Yeah, 100%. I think that's a really good point. This is probably the only, maybe the only time, actually, where they do genuinely treat the shows mm. as equal. And it, it makes us some really good television. The, thing, the other thing as well, of course, in America, the draft had very different repercussions than it did in Britain. Or, or probably in other countries as well, I assume. Because over here, um, WWE was it's it's a it's a package. If you had at the time, if you had Sky Sports, you could get the lot. Yeah, you saw. Whereas in America, you were far more likely to have the the TV package with Raw than you were to have the package with SmackDown. That was extra. Mm. So in America, you really did have fans that only watched one or the other, and some fans that were quite devoted to those brands, and that helped foster this rivalry. And that was. That was really cool as well, honestly. I, I'm glad you asked me to get involved mm. with this because I think I didn't have an appreciation for how good this era was until we started looking at what we were going to do episode wise, and you put all the you, you put all the possible episodes up, and I suddenly was going down the list like I really enjoyed that show. I really enjoyed that show. Like, why do I not remember this more? Like, in my head, it, it seems to jump from like 2001 to about 2000, probably about 2000. Sure. You know, like, and I'm like, why do I not? Why do I not remember this with more fondness? This is a really good era. Two thousand two um, so... and two thousand three are, and two thousand four actually. I'm going to say, like, these first three years are just sublime. And like, that's not to say the rest of it isn't, but like, to me, much like with the Attitude Era, it's kind of split into. You know, the pre-Austin's neck injury and post-Austin's neck injury, and it feels very different, but it's still the same era. Like, pre... At the risk of sounding... At the risk of sounding morbid here, pre the passing of Eddie Guerrero, post the passing of Eddie Guerrero, very I, different eras. But it's still the same era, yeah. you know You know what I mean? It feels different, but I it know is, what you mean. it's the same. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's an interesting one, because that's kind of where... Uh, maybe that's where I've kind of cut it off in my mm. head because I think that was when I stopped watching for a while just because it was, I don't know, not not too depressing, but you kind of like, oh, God. Sure. You know, like, I don't, don't know that I want to see, you know, I don't know why to see this anymore. I don't want people to be put through that yeah. stuff. So maybe that's why, I th- like you said, there's a lot of good reasons why things aren't talked about anymore. And it's a shame because there is some really good rest. There's some gold. you got to... Yeah, you're going to cover some great stuff, and I'm going to be I'm going to be listening to most episodes. Oh, thank you very to much. To be honest, oh well, because I can't wait to hear you talk about. Some well, stuff. on the next episode, ladies and gentlemen, we've got some really exciting stuff coming out. We've got a truly excellent match. We've got some really good storylines that are building for the next couple of months, and we've got the Texas Rattlesnake himself, Old Stone Cold. <laughs> um, but uh, I think it might be time to about draw this one to a close because I think we've probably bollocked on for ages now <laughs> <laughs> we've done quite well I think yeah, we, we have um, so obviously hang around folks we're going to do the uh, the usual mailbag segment we're going to do the little profile segment we're going to be looking at the nature boy Ric Flair himself uh, on the other side of uh, the ad break or whatever we're going to stick in here uh, but in the meantime before all that I would like to say a very hearty thank you to you John thank you so much for joining me it's been a blast I've had a good old time man uh, thank you for having me it's no been problem. great I love talking wrestling and I particularly enjoy talking well, about thank you, so, uh, so thank where you can our lovely listeners find you online and what do you do for them to listen to and enjoy and watch and stuff 
Flipping heck. Um, <laughs> well, actually, I didn't reference this, although I got very close to it a couple of times. I am a uh, stand-up comedian, mm. as well as uh, my day job. You can find me on Twitter at jportercomedy. Um, you can find me on pretty much any social media as jportercomedy, as a matter of fact, because I thought that was easier, and it was easier to say that quickly when, when asked to plug myself. <laughs> um one of the main things that I do that isn't stand-up is Twitch. Uh, you can find me on Jay Porter Comedy at Twitch, and I regularly stream a multitude of games, and I probably will be starting streaming a wrestling game. As soon as I can find a wrestling game mod that allows me to be Dan Housen, I will be <laughs> right back into um, But yeah, find me at Jay Porter Comedy, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, the other one I just said, Twitch. Twitch. <laughs> Twitch. Find me at Twitch, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, I'm a stand-up comedian, I'm an idiot, but I enjoy what I do, and I think you'll enjoy it too. I think so as well. So, before we roll into the the final farewells then, thank you very much once again to my lovely guest and co-host, Mr. John Porter, and uh, I'll see you on the other side of the adverse. Bye! Before we move on to the mailbag to close out the show, it's time for today's profile where we take a look at one of the stars of this period and what their history was before the commencement of the Ruthless Aggression era. You've just heard about him drafting his roster for Monday Night Raw, so let's delve into what led the nature boy Ric Flair back to the WWF. Richard Morgan Fleer was born on the 25th of February 1949. In actuality, the Fleer name isn't Flair's birth name, which is actually a matter of uncertainty. The young Flair was adopted by Kathleen and Richard Reed Fleer, and astonishingly, Flair's adoption was organised by a society which would later be revealed to be involved in extensive child trafficking. Flair took to amateur wrestling and trained in professional wrestling under Vern Garnier, making his debut with the American Wrestling Association in 1972, working with a number of greats of the period, including Dusty Rhodes and Andre the Giant. But it would be Jim Crockett Promotions, the National Wrestling Alliance promotion which later morphed into World Championship Wrestling, where Flair would become best known. Flair's career was almost cut short in a plane crash, and he was told at 26 years of age that he'd never wrestle again as a result of breaking his back in three places. While this proved not to be the case, and he returned to the ring an amazing three months later, the injuries radically altered Flair's style. One visually obvious way his wrestling was affected is how he always lands slightly on his side off a backdrop. But more importantly than that, Flair changed his wrestling style to work a more technical grappling style. This eventually led to him adopting the nickname Nature Boy, and saw him feud with the first wrestler to hold that name, former Worldwide Wrestling Federation champion, Buddy Rogers. It would be in the 1980s that the Nature Boy persona took the form Flair is best known for today. Though he would perform for a time as a babyface, Flair excelled as a heel. He portrayed himself as a high-flying rich man who lived a lavish lifestyle and happily rubbed it in his opponent's faces, exemplified best by the intricately detailed robes he wore to the ring before a match. Flair would win a number of NWA World Heavyweight Championships in clashes with the likes of Dusty Rhodes and Harley Race, proving he could back up his words in the ring. The true genius of the Flair character was in his underhanded tactics. 
proudly known by the moniker the dirtiest player in the game, Flair would routinely cheat and use underhanded tactics to get victory over his opponents, yet he would always ensure the wrestlers he faced looked like a credible threat. On any given night, fans in attendance at a show could believe that anyone who faced Flair, maybe, just this once, just this time, might be the one to dethrone him. Before he'd inevitably cheat to win, infuriating fans who'd keep coming back for more, awaiting Flair making that one fatal slip-up that would see him lose the world championship. In 1985, Flair joined forces with Arn and Ole Anderson, as well as Tully Blanchard and manager J.J. Dillon, forming the Four Horsemen faction. The Horsemen dominated the babyfaces of the NWA and kept a stranglehold on the championship titles they earned. The Horsemen proved to be one of the most influential stables in wrestling history, pun not intended. In the late 80s, Flair would feud with the two men who'd be recognised as his greatest rivals, Ricky Steamboat and Sting. Come the spring of 1991, however, WCW President Jim Hurd had made it plenty clear he was no fan of Flair's, wanting to move past him, despite Flair still being a draw for the company. The ensuing dispute led to Flair's departure from WCW. The problem was, he was the WCW World Champion, and he had the belt. As WCW refused to refund Flair his $25,000 security deposit on the belt, Flair simply determined that this meant the belt had become his personal property, and he could do what he liked with it. What he liked to do with it, as it turns out, was sign for the World Wrestling Federation, and show up on their shows wearing the WCW belt. As a matter of fact, Flair was the one who contacted the WWF and told them he had the belt, and asked if they had any interest in working with him. Naturally, they did. Promoted by Bobby Heenan and Mr. Perfect as the real world's champion, Flair enjoyed a run in the WWF, where he not only feuded with a number of the WWF's top stars, but even won the vacant WWF championship by winning the 1992 Royal Rumble, entering the match at the number three position and lasting for over 60 minutes. Flair would go on to win the WWF championship once more before things changed. The new generation was beginning, and Vince McMahon was looking to create a crop of new stars. Flair was welcome to stay with the promotion, but he would no longer automatically be pushed as a main event talent. He and McMahon had a verbal agreement that if Flair wasn't being used in a main event role, and if another company had interest in him, McMahon would grant him his release from his contract. With Bill Watts offering Flair a deal to return to WCW, and McMahon moving away from the stars of the 80s, McMahon honoured the agreement and allowed Flair to return to WCW, albeit under a brief no-compete clause in his contract, which meant Flair would be unable to wrestle for a short while after returning to WCW. WCW, as it turns out, proved to be a mixed bag for Flair. He enjoyed high-profile matches against the likes of Sting and Randy Savage, and even wrestled Japanese wrestling legend Antonio Inoki in the main event of Collision in Korea, an event held in Pyongyang, North Korea, as part of Inoki's failed attempt to improve relations between Japan and North Korea during his political career. But come the mid-90s, the tides were changing in the wrestling industry. The New World Order had arrived, led by Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Hulk Hogan. In the light of a faction of heels who were almost too cool to boo, despite remaining a fan favourite, Flair very much looked like a relic of bygone times in wrestling, with his character 
essentially remaining the same as ever. Backstage interpersonal problems with WCW executive producer Eric Bischoff left things frayed for Flair. As the late 1990s wound to a close, Flair was growing disillusioned with wrestling. He'd perhaps started to listen to his detractors and take their words to heart. He'd also grown frustrated and saddened with the decline in WCW as the WWF's fortunes rose. When then-future world champion Kurt Angle telephoned Rick to ask him for his advice on whether he should sign with WCW or WWF, Flair advised Kurt to sign with the WWF, as he knew WCW would waste the talent of Angle's ability. Flair did win the WCW World Championship on occasions towards the end of the company's life, but these reigns were often brief, and usually lacked the weight of his earlier runs. On Germany-exclusive event Millennium Final in 2000, Flair acknowledged to the fans in attendance the company's downturn in fortunes, and expressed the fact he didn't know if WCW would be returning to Germany, though he thanked them for their support. This open and frank acknowledgement of the company's downward spiral was probably not something Flair would ordinarily do, but he was past caring at that point. With WCW having been purchased by Vince McMahon, the company made its final broadcast, an episode of WCW Monday Nitro on the 26th of March 2001. Flair and Sting closed the show, bookending things somewhat, as they'd also performed against one another on the first episode of Nitro. The match was emotional, and concluded with Sting picking up the victory before the two now longtime friends embraced tearfully. Flair wrestled the match in a t-shirt, having become so depressed and disillusioned in his in-ring skills and physical appearance, he couldn't bear to perform in front of the last remaining die-hard WCW fans in his usual ring gear. Flair made his return to wrestling eight months later, having signed with the World Wrestling Federation. He appeared on the November 19th, 2001 edition of Monday Night Raw, where he revealed that he, or well, rather his on-screen character, had bought Shane and Stephanie McMahon's stock in the company, and was now the co-owner of the World Wrestling Federation alongside Mr. McMahon. And behind the scenes, Flair and Vince McMahon worked well together, and in recent years, Flair admitted that no matter what happens between the two of them, they have a brotherly bond, and indicated that Vince feels the same way. However, suffice to say, the characters they played on TV didn't get along at all, eventually getting in one another's way so much that their feud became physical and resulted in a street fight between the pair at the 2001 Royal Rumble, which Flair won. On the run-up to WrestleMania 18 that year, Flair fell foul of The Undertaker, who instigated a vicious blood feud against Flair, resulting in the two having a match at WrestleMania 18 in which Flair was battered, bloodied, and beaten by the dead man. As well as his on-screen authority figure role, Flair was now slowly getting back into wrestling, though his confidence remained low. Still depressed and lacking in self-belief, Flair could often be found backstage around this time, wallowing in doubt. Fortunately, as we'll cover in future episodes, Flair was pulled out of the mire by a younger talent who admired him, and wanted Flair to remember who he was and what he meant to the business. In 2002, and to this day, the WWE and most wrestling companies recognise Flair as a 16-time world champion. Flair is believed to have won a number of additional so-called world titles in minor promotions, though these titles were never defended on a large scale, let alone the world stage. 
Regardless, 16 World Championships is a number that has never been topped by any wrestler since, and, as of the time of recording in 2022, it's only been matched by one other man. Flair remains one of the greatest wrestling heels of all time, and his influence may never fade, as whenever a wrestler performs his signature backhand chop, audiences delight to scream Flair's trademark, Woo! Time to wrap things up with a deep dive into our mailbag. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter at RARelived or via email ltruthlessaggression at gmail.com. First off, a couple of thank yous. Thank you to Zach Donegan on Twitter, who brought our attention to a tweet from The Hurricane, who noted he was scheduled to have a match on the episode of Raw we covered in episode 1, but thanks to the extended ovation for Hulk Hogan, it was cut. Seemingly, as John Blood and I speculated last episode, the show really did have to be rewritten while it was being broadcast in order to make up for lost time. For what it's worth, though, Hurricane noted cutting his match was the right move in light of the crowd reaction to Hogan. Thank you to Twitter users Mike at WeaselWeeze and Travis N, I hope I've said that right, who reminded us of why Jerry Lawler calls ladies' bosoms puppies. It was, in fact, Road Dog who coined the term in a pre-match promo before he took on Owen Hart, who was managed by Deborah at the time. Uh, Deborah being the one who embraced the puppies term, so to speak. Uh, Mike suggested King should be paying Road Dog residuals for all the mileage he's got out of the term, and he's probably onto something there, in fairness. I'd also like to give a shout-out to Rene Dupree. Yes, that Rene Dupree, he formerly of the WWE himself. Uh, Rene tagged us in a post for his 36th podcast episode in which he interviewed Maven, who I'm delighted to hear has recently returned to the ring. Thank you so much for the recognition, Rene. That's that's really lovely of you. Thank you so much, man. Uh, you can find Rene's show on Twitter at Café de Rene. I hope I got the accent right on that one. <laughs> Twitter user Shady95 at RickE1995 sent us love and gave a shout out to fellow Ruthless Aggression era casters, the Ruthless Aggression podcast. And it's lovely to know there are more podcasts out there who love this time period as much as I do. So all the best to you guys. There's room in this world for more than one Ruthless Aggression podcast. That's what I reckon. In rapid-fire Twitter feedback, Treadcutter, at Treadcutter213, recommended the podcast and said, The mix of informative and fun is that nice sweet spot between the two. Arturo Hernandez, at Hazard underscore Kujaka, says, Finished listening to the first episode of Ruthless Aggression Relived, and it was great. Can't wait for more episodes. Don Cheech at Mr. Normal 123 says, Really loving the pod. Can't wait for new episodes. One of the best eras in WWE. Keep it up. Thank you to everyone who left us lovely, lovely feedback on Twitter. Your support honestly means the world to me. And it fuels me to get the show out when editing it makes me want to chainsaw my arms and legs and head off. So thank you so much, guys. 
Over on Apple Podcasts, Phillies Fan 136 left a five-star review and said, Thanks to the boys for giving us another pod. This is the era I grew up with, more 2005 and onwards, but still. The attitude and golden eras are celebrated. The new generation, infamous. This is the after-generation where fans were leaving, but there's still some gems to be had for those that stuck around. I didn't know any better that I was growing up in an era mostly unheralded. Very glad to hear more of LT in this format. He's a natural speaker, so it's an easy but informative listen. Excited to see if any familiar friends give more memories, like it's clobbering time did for its time. Thank you so much for your kind words, Phillies fan. It, it Honestly, it's really humbling to me when people are so complimentary. It's, that's lovely, thank you. That makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Uh, it's clobbering time. That is a real deep cut. That was New Legacy Inc.'s short-lived podcast from about a decade ago. We did a few weeks of that and then realised that it was not going to be very easy to line up our schedules. And as it has remained ever since, um, it was an early foray into talking rubbish about wrestling with my pals. But yeah, rest assured, plenty more where that came from. Lots of appearances from uh, a number of the New Legacy Inc. boys on this podcast yet to come. So... Look forward to that. Lots of lots of guests, both NL and otherwise, as as we've had today. So yeah, good little depth and breadth of wrestling knowledge coming up. Lots of varied guests for you to look forward to. Thank you once again to everyone who's supported the show. Your love for our previous episodes briefly pushed us into the top 50 for wrestling podcasts in the US and the top 40 in Canada and the UK. And that is a lot of competition. And we also very rapidly hit 1,000 total downloads, which is a level of success I have never known happened so swiftly on my other podcasts before. I promise you guys to do my level best to ensure that I live up to the standards you all expect of me. And in the meantime, don't forget, if you haven't already, to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you like what we have to say, a five-star rating and review certainly doesn't hurt our chances of reaching an even greater audience. And you know what? If you haven't already, go back and check out our previous episodes. Next episode, guys, we will be hopping into Backlash 2002, where we feel the early ramifications of the draft, and Triple H defends his WWF Undisputed Championship against an opponent he's never faced before. Be sure to check out Backlash 2002 over on the WWE Network, or on Peacock, or on DVD if you're still using the old physical media, and I can't fault you there because I'm a big fan of that sort of stuff. And don't forget, you can contact the show and us. We're on Twitter, at RARelived, and you can email us some more long-form thoughts via email at ltruthlessaggression at gmail.com. I would love to hear your thoughts on the draft, on Backlash 2002, on the podcast in general keep that feedback coming guys it's really lovely to hear thank you once more to my co-host for this episode John Porter who you can find on social media and twitch.tv under the username jporter_comedy. you can find me on twitter at ltdangerous as well if you like until next time everyone on behalf of John Porter I've been LT Fletcher and I want to thank you so much for listening and I hope you join me and my co-host next time for Backlash 2002